2: This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman. It's 101 ESPN. It's 7.01 in the morning. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. It is great to have you with us. And Michelle, I was thinking last night, As I watched Cardinal Baseball and I watched NHL playoff hockey and I watched the NBA, how cool it is Doesn't matter what time of year, just to have games on the TV.
0: It is. It really is. (laughs) Last night, Randy, I was flipping, I was watching the Cardinals game, and then I would flip to an NBA game during a commercial break. And I thought, this is great. This is great. You've got Cardinal games that matter. You've got NBA playoffs happening at the same time. It's too bad the Blues aren't still in it. That would still be fun. But you have a lot going on. It's awesome.
3: It is. And the Cardinals trying to take the third of a three-game series last night in Cincinnati. Before the game, the Cardinals, in a surprise announcement, Put Dexter Fowler on the I.L. He has a stomach issue and general manager. Well, not general manager. He is the Pobo. He is the president of baseball operations. John Moselock talked about what this did for other players.
1: Yeah, as he and I were speaking this morning, it's, you know, he's having a really good year. And um, so it's unfortunate, but, you know, we both agreed his health was, you know, more important than just talking about production I think, look, it's as you guys have heard me say before, you know, one man's loss is another man's gain, hopefully. And so it's going to create opportunities for guys like like Lane Thomas and O'Neill, And, and um, you know, you're going to see Bader in the outfield at times. You're going to see Tommy Edmond out there. Uh, so I would say it's, again, very fluid and moving.
3: Michelle, the illness causes Fowler to need to take a medication that compromises his immune system. Mm -hmm. And so the Cardinals didn't want him in the clubhouse. They didn't want him to take any chances of contracting COVID-19. So they sent him home to St. Louis,
0: which is clearly the right decision as Mo said, health overproduction always, but especially in 2020. But when you look at your outfield and the options that you have, Dexter Fowler's been so productive for you. Yeah. This is this certainly stings to have him removed from that equation. But as, as Mo said as well, I guess it does free up opportunity. They mm-hmm. wanted to evaluate a lot of these guys, and one of the questions that laid before them was, how are we going to get these guys enough at bats to figure out what we have in Lane Thomas and, and a Tyler O'Neill and a Harrison Bader? So even though it's really unfortunate to lose Dexter Fowler for a multitude of reasons, which by the way, at the beginning of the season, we doubt we didn't think think we'd be saying that, but he's been playing great. You do have an opportunity now to get these guys some more consistent at-bats.
3: And knowing what we know now, Fowler playing great is even more impressive.
1: Yes, he has. Um, I would say, really, over the last couple weeks, he's been dealing with this, and he has been trying different medications to try to, to deal with it, but unfortunately, uh, none of those combinations gave him the relief he needed.
3: And so the Cardinals went into last night's game minus Dexter Fowler. They had a 3-1 lead in the fifth inning, Michelle. And then Tucker Barnhart, the number nine hitter for Cincinnati, hits a home runoff of Johan Oviedo, and the score is 3-3. We move to the ninth inning, still 3-3. And here's what happened for the Cardinals. Brad Miller, who gets a hit every single time he steps to the plate.
0: Every time. Randy, this is Hot Take Thursday. Next segment, Brad Miller. Will we see him in a red jacket?
3: I think we will. So Miller gets a base hit. Paul DeYoung walks. You've got runners at first and second, nobody out. Yachty with a bunce to the pitcher. So that you have runners at second and third, one out. Matt Carpenter walks. So you've got bases loaded. You've got a left-handed hitter in Tyler O'Neill uh, or in Dex, uh, Dylan Carlson on the bench. You've got O'Neal and Thomas coming up. O'Neill strikes out swinging. Thomas strikes out swinging. Right-handed hitters against a right-handed pitcher.
0: What did you think of the decision?
3: I was wondering why we weren't seeing Dylan Carlson. But at the same time, I was aware of what Dylan Carlson had done with the bases loaded. Right. And he has not done well. He's had as many bases loaded opportunities as anybody in baseball since he came up and has only a couple of hits. So with that situation with the left handed hitter, Mike Schilt was asked if he considered sending Carlson up there in the ninth.
4: Give guys opportunities. Um, you know, that's what Find found out. <laughs> so, you know, some point guys are going to, you know, like I say, miss his pitch. But, you know, there's a consideration for Dylan, for sure. There's a consideration for Ravelo as well. You know, young player, puts the ball in play, puts the ball in the outfield, and you don't know what that does for his confidence. So it's a fine line. You know, I get it. Um, Could have gone to Dylan, He puts it in play. Absolutely, I, I get that. But, you know. Those guys are
3: going to have to learn to face those kind
4: of guys. They're going to be everyday
3: players. There you go, Michelle. I always go back to that 2011 World Series. Cardinals down two runs heading into the 10th inning. And it's Jay, Descalso, and then the pitcher. And you didn't have any other position players left. Jay and Descalso had to do it. And they had had a lot of opportunities to play every day. And the Cardinals knew, and Tony Larusa, who we're going to talk to later today, knew what they were capable of. Mike Schill needs to know what these guys are capable of. Are they capable of doing something big in a pressure spot?
0: And Dylan Carlson, as you mentioned, has had those opportunities Mm -hmm. with bases loaded. So even though that was a consideration for Mike Schill, you certainly don't feel that confident about Dylan Carlson heading into this situation. So, yeah, you want to give Lane Thomas that opportunity. And as Mike Schill said, if he delivers for you, you know, but even him not you know being productive for you in that moment it's certainly experience for him one way or the other and the Cardinals have said this is an evaluation year for Mm -hmm. a lot of these players and so it shouldn't be surprising when they consistently stick to that model in one way or another
3: and so in the bottom of the ninth inning the Reds walk it off against Giovanni Gallegos Uh, walk uh, another walk and then Joey Votto singles to drive in the winning run and with Mike Schilt. He is enduring with those hitters and young pitchers, a process. Yeah, complete Everybody, you know, I mean, just have a, and look, these guys have been
4: great. That's, that's, you know, I mean, that's that's a tough guy. It's a veteran guy, you know, that has good stuff. So regardless of who you put up there, it's a tough at bat. And um, you know, he clearly had a plan. He was able to execute his plan. And um, But it's always about, you know, whatever your process is, that allows you to Simplify things, know who you are, slow things down, and just try to put together a
3: good at bat. You ready to trust the
4: process?
0: <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> um, sometimes I am. <laughs> Other times I'm ready to see results.
3: Keep taking two out of three. Just keep taking two out of three, and the Cardinals will be fine. Now, speaking of results, two years ago, Michelle, John Mozeliak, and Mike Gersh brought Matt Carpenter into a meeting. He was hitting 140 in May, and they said, hey, don't worry about it. We see what you're doing. You're hitting the ball hard. We've got the statistics to show that if you just keep doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a normal Matt Carpenter year. This year, after last night's action, Matt Carpenter, by the way, he did have another walk. He's hitting 175. He is getting on base at a 340 clip, but hitting just 175 with a slug of 250 he's not hitting the ball hard so i asked john Mozeliak yesterday about the difference between two years ago and this year and if the cardinals see anything that makes them believe the carpenter is going to be able to break out of this
1: yeah i think the the difference between then and now is is two years ago and today he, he was having bad luck but i think one of the bigger differences two years ago to where you are today is is his exit velocity which was higher. So when you combine a, a more robust exit velocity with bad luck, then it's easier to explain things will get better. I do think in, in his case, um, you know, there's, there's going to have to be some ways to think about change because, you know, you're, you've got to consider about when you're putting the ball in play and what type of launch angle you're thinking about. I mean, the, the, the good news is, you know, he does still make hard contact, But, you know, in terms of of where he's placing it, and and I think, you know, trying to make those adjustments on the fly is sometimes tough, and in a season of 60 games, it might even be tougher. But, you know, he's certainly someone that um, he's going to continue to get opportunities, and uh, hopefully he can make those adjustments.
3: 175 with the 250 slug, but he's going to continue to get those opportunities, even though the exit velocity isn't what the Cardinals knew they had two years ago.
0: Do you think their thought process is he's going to get those opportunities because of the schedule that we have coming up? Or do you think that, because it it didn't seem like, at least in that answer, there was a glaring solution that they feel like is around the corner.
3: And it seems like this is more a physical issue. But he's going to get opportunities because, like you said, of the schedule. And they like him, clearly. And with Fowler out Obviously, that takes some at-bats away from people that might have been DH possibilities. Even with Fowler on the shelf, he would get opportunities in those double header mm-hmm. games. But because of that reduced exit velocity and the way he's hitting, the opportunities for me, if I were the manager of the pros, Pobo, they'd be limited.
0: Do you think because of Dexter Fowler's bounce-back season that might be part of the reason that they're believing that even though certain metrics for Matt Carpenter aren't there anymore, that if he's telling them he feels good or they're seeing something or another, that they are trusting their instincts here?
3: It seems to me that with Fowler, there were extenuating circumstances because he was dealing with that depression. Right. And with Carpenter, it has never been a thought that has been brought up at least it seems like this is more physical than mental with Carpenter. And it seems like, as a 34-year-old guy, maybe it's just not there anymore. Because this is two years in a row. If it, And by the way, he only had two good months in 2018. He, he was fabulous. He was unbelievable. He was otherworldly for July and August of yeah. that year. But otherwise, he we the reason that he got pulled in is because he was hitting 140 in May. And then he got hot half of May. June, he was better. But July and August were ridiculously hot and then he cooled off dramatically in September now he's had six months last year of not being particularly effective and so far this year he has not been and like Mo said with a 60 game schedule you really don't have time to try to find solutions
0: Right. So if you know that the next few weeks, not even month anymore, the next few weeks are critical and that you probably don't have time to figure out solutions, then it would seemingly be confusing for a fan to hear that answer and hear, oh, but we're still going to give him opportunities.
3: Because you've got Edmund to play third because you've got Miller to DH because you've brought up Ron Hel Ravello because like you have said, you want to give young outfielders an opportunity to play. It seems like in a game of musical chairs among cardinal hitters that the guy left without a chair would be Matt Carpenter.
0: You would think, but then they say he's going to continue to get opportunities.
3: Yeah. Hopefully he fixes it. Hopefully he finds a way. Fix it.
0: (laughs) Just fix it. Yeah. Like, it's so easy.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Cardinals lose last night and have a day off today. A rare day off before opening a five-game, four-day series in Chicago against the Cubs tomorrow. Next up, big move by the Blues yesterday to start clearing some cap space. Is the reason for clearing cap space what we might think it is? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carragher and
2: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle, after we got off the air yesterday, the Blues announced that they had traded Jake Allen to the Montreal Canadiens for a couple of draft picks. No surprise there, because the Blues do have restricted free agent Vince Dunn and unrestricted free agent Alex Petrangelo. In addition to that, they have a lot of cap money that's Mm -hmm. going up. They signed... Marco Scandella to an extension. His cap number goes up. They gave Braden Shen a new contract. His cap number goes up next year. Uh, they signed Sammy Blay. He goes up by about $800,000. Sean McEachern, or Mackenzie McEachern, rather, uh, is going to have his salary go up. So because of players ascending on the salary scale, something had to give in terms of the Blues' salary cap. And we kind of figured, especially when they signed Husso to a one-way contract last year kind of figured that Jake might be the guy and he wound up being the guy.
0: Yeah, you knew that this move would free up some cap space. Allen did have one more year in his deal, $4.35 million, So that gets the job done. But as we had talked about here, as people in St. Louis were debating, after what happened in the bubble and after some confidence in Jordan Bennington might have been waning from some people, you mm-hmm. wondered if it was imperative to keep Jake Allen, if that goalie tandem all of a sudden became that much more valuable to the team.
3: And we know that Jake Allen always performed better when there was a two goalie tandem, when there was another guy there to push him. We don't know what Jordan Binnington will be like. We do know that Jordan Binnington is incredibly competitive, Mm -hmm. and we do know the Blues want to give Villejuso an opportunity. Yesterday, Army said, we want to give him 25-30 games to play, but we don't know if he'll push a guy like Binnington, or if Jordan needs to be pushed, but the bottom line here is that the onus is on Jordan Binnington now. The the fate of the blues winning or losing next year between the pipes rests on the shoulders of Jordan Biddington.
0: Do you have more recency bias over what you saw in the bubble? Or are you looking at the total body of work, which includes the most unbelievable run we've ever seen for the blues to win their first Stanley cup championship?
3: I'm looking at this whole season and you have to include what he did in half a season in the playoffs in 2019, but this season Allen was a better goalie, and Binnington was a middle-of-the-pack goalie. So I hope that Jordan can ascend to those heights again where he's top five in goals against and save percentage because I know he's capable of it, but I don't know if the league has figured anything out about him. And it sure looked like, especially with the Canucks in the playoffs, like they had figured something out with Jordan Binnington, like they knew where to shoot the puck.
0: One of the things that I keep thinking about Bennington, I'm removing the bubble from the equation because those circumstances were completely new and difficult for the entire team to adapt to. Mm-hmm. And some of those goals weren't even his fault. Right. It was the team playing in front of him. Yes, he would like some of them back. But when you look at the regular season for Jordan Bennington, it was still his first complete season that he yeah. ever had in the NHL. This coming off a very grueling Stanley Cup final run and a short off season, So while I certainly think everybody could agree that you wanted the entire season, his season in totality to be better, it was his first year doing this. So you still have to keep that in mind too.
3: And so Doug Armstrong naturally was asked about the level of confidence the team has in Biddington.
5: Well, I think that Montreal obviously would be counter to what the, the first part of the question is. They, they're as it situates today, they have a lot of money wrapped up into goaltending. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's a reflection of your salary cap space as a whole. Um, You know, a flat cap is going to, is going to make teams alter how they think. Uh, Again, it was a combination for the, for the St. Louis blues of, of creating some potential cap space to either sign our own current players or get into the market at at a different time. Plus allowing young players to, to, to get their opportunity in the league. Um, So I think that's a, it's it's a combination of every team on on what they're looking to do, uh, and uh, having having two quality goaltenders like we did this year, I thought was very important for us. It it gave Jordan Bennington uh, uh, some comfort knowing that his partner had a lot of experience, uh, and and he had a good regular season and, and not the playoffs that he wanted. Uh, I think this does show that our, our faith is that uh, uh, we're going to take we're going to take the. The Jordan Baines' NHL career going back to January of uh, of 19 uh, through today and, and say there was a lot more positive than negatives, and we believe he could be the man.
3: And he's going to be the man, and there have been way more positives than negatives. So from that perspective and the fact the fact that you just can't keep everybody, it was... In my opinion, a good move for the Blues to be able to move that entire $4.35 off the books.
0: Yeah, you're sad to see Jake Allen go, not only because he's proven what he can do for you on the ice, but because he's such a great teammate and such a great guy. He could have so easily thrown a fit last season when Jordan Bennington was ascending, but instead he took it in stride and he said, what can I do to contribute to the team's success? He watched extensive hours of film on opposing teams goalie and would mimic their movements mm-hmm. to help his teammates in practice. And just seemed like the exact type of teammate you would have wanted. So I will always cheer for Jake the Snake and and wish him luck in his next stop.
3: Our natural response to this is, what about Alex Petrangelo? And Army was asked about his confidence level in bringing the captain back.
5: We're obviously, I don't think we've made any uh, secret that we'd love to to get Alex signed. And I think Alex just hasn't made made it uh, known that he would like to sign here. So we're going to have to work through that. And at the end of the day, it's a math equation.
3: And we don't know what that math equation is, but we do know that at the very least, Petro made six point five million last year, and he's going to want a raise. The highest paid players on the Blues, Tarasenko and O'Reilly, make seven point five million dollars, and the Blues are going to need to free up more cap space. They had a couple million available, so they're probably at about five point six right now. If they would buy out Steen, that'd add another two point two, but they would have to move a Gunnarsson type if they wanted to do everything that we want them to do, and that includes re-signing Alex Petranzo. And by the way, if they do make that move for Petro, they also wouldn't be able to bring back Vince Dunn. So it would dramatically change the look of your defense if you don't have Bomeister, Gunnarsson, or Vince Dunn next year. Those were, on opening night, your top three lefty defensemen.
0: When we spoke to Army and he mentioned to us yeah, these conversations with Petro, we need to find out what he's willing to mm-hmm. concede first, essentially. We need to find out where we can meet in the middle. And once we can find that out, then we'll move forward. So wasn't your first thought process yesterday when you saw that the Blues had made this move with Allen? Hey, we heard Alex Petrangelo talk about this impending free agency and he's, he didn't seem excited about it. He right. is he seemed more resigned to the fact that, hey, this was a business, but he said, "I I love St. Louis. This is somewhere I would like to stay. It made me think, first and foremost, they must have Found that middle ground somehow that's
3: exactly what I thought, and you 're exactly right because the other thing that Army said was, if we aren 't in the same ballpark, then there's no reason for us to make moves and push pieces off the board so the the first thing that I thought of as well was okay he 's talked to Don Meehan and there is a spot there. There is a sweet spot for the Blues to be able to make this move and keep Petro around.
0: Which is great news if you're a Blues fan.
3: Right. Now, we get a text from the 314 that thinks that Jake Allen will end up in Seattle. They have the cap room for next year, and it gives their prospect goalie, Caden Primo, one more year to develop in Montreal. The thing is, Jake is an unrestricted free agent after next year. We don't know what the cap is going to be. We don't know what the overall need for goalies around the league. Certainly, Seattle is Allowed to sign Jake Allen as an unrestricted free agent, but there's going to be a goalie heavy market this year, and Michelle, there's going to be a goalie heavy market next year. It might be smarter for Seattle to select a guy that they have a little bit more control over in the expansion draft. And whether he's better or worse than Allen is immaterial. It's about control mm-hmm. and having a guy that you are confident that you're going to have for a couple of years, and might be able to get for less than Jake Allen as an unrestricted free agent.
0: Interesting, but wouldn't you like to see Jake Allen in that sweet Kraken sweater? Oh,
3: definitely. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know Montreal's closer to his home, but come on, that that yeah. the hype around the Kraken is going to be really fun.
3: And Montreal is still paying Carey Price a lot of money for a long time, and it would be kind of surprising for me if he would wind up. Uh, if Jake would wind up staying there beyond this year, because I do think that Jake will play well in Montreal, and I believe that he'll wind up uh, getting a lot of money in free agency. When you have a guy like Carey Price who is signed through twenty five twenty six at a cap number of ten and a half million per year, twenty five twenty six at a cap million of ten and a half per year. Hard to imagine that you're going to be able to sign Jake Allen for multiple years at five, $6 million a year.
0: That'd be a lot of money towards goaltenders.
3: Our friend Greg Amzinger is standing by. The MLB Network lead anchor was busy last night, and he's got a lot on his mind. We're going to talk to Greg next with our Thursday visit with MLB Network's lead anchor on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the
2: Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and visit with a man who's shooting it regularly in the 80s at his golf club in New Jersey. The one and only Greg Amsinger, native of St. Louis, a product of the Lindenwood University, lead anchor for MLB Network, and now a very solid left-handed golfer.
6: (laughs) You know, you've always been so generous with your introductions throughout the years, but this might be my favorite, Randy. I, I, I forget all the other accolades. If you can just say, regularly shoots in the 80s. I mean, I'm blushing.
3: I'm (laughs) blushing. Well, hey, if you do it, that's, uh, hey, you're the lead anchor for MLB Network. You've done great (laughs) things in your career. You've been spectacular. But shooting in the 80s might be the best thing you've done. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. My course is a par
6: 70. Please, <laughs> please don't tell anyone that. Greg, because now that... My 89, my 89 <laughs> is not getting the same play. It's not. So I appreciate you for everything, but this is really making me feel good about myself.
0: Well, good, Greg. Now that Randy's buttered you up, I'm going to come in with a hard-hitting question here. We see Vin Scully, Greg, the legend, joining social media. Does that mean Greg Amzinger is next? <laughs>
6: No, I I think Greg Amsinger is going to learn from a legend. And when I'm, and when I'm 92, I'm going to get on Twitter. How about that? I think Vin, Vin knows how to play this the right way. And you just, you want people coming back for more. People want what they can't have. And you just can't be all that social with Greg Amsinger. It's worked in my first 41 years. I've only got 51 years left to do this. And, and, and be obscure and just be on TV. And I, I'm a very lovely human being to meet in person. You yes. Guys, I've hung out with both of you. So it's not like I'm anti social. I'm just, <laughs> I, it's a lot of work and I'm really lazy. And that's just me. That's just me.
3: Greg, I've, I've got a fun fact for you. Since the last time the San Diego Padres have won a playoff game, which, by the way, was against the Cardinals, game three of the 2006 NLDS, since their last playoff win the Cardinals have had 44 playoff game wins and 11 series so the Padres are a little bit more desperate than the Cardinals to try to break out and that's part of the reason that they made all the moves last week isn't it uh I don't know if the
6: Padres are I think AJ Preller yeah that's the difference it's a GM who's on the hot seat if they do not get to the postseason which expanded postseason right now. They're a lot to get in, but they need to make a good run. Their ownership group was all in a couple off seasons ago when they signed Manny Machado. I was there and hosted the press conference where Manny was anointed the face of the Padres and talking to one of the owners, he told me off air. We're also in on Bryce Harper. We, We are going for it. They didn't get Bryce Harper. But they didn't know what they had, I think, with Fernando Tatis Jr. as the next great player in the game. This team's all in. I actually love what they did. I got to be honest with you. I I I love what they did. If everyone's going one direction, my instincts always tell me to go the other. And hence Twitter, right? (laughs) AJ Preller looked at this and said, all these front offices – are saying, oh, it's a weird 60-game regular season. We don't know how to really evaluate what we have. Why are we going to trade away any young talent? This season's kind of like a wash. Yeah, if you win the World Series, great. AJ Pro is like, are you kidding me? If I win the World Series, I'm going to get a new five-year contract, (laughs) and I need that right now. I have a mortgage. So he's going for it, man. I'm I'm all in for the Padres. I love the moves they made. Uh, Clevenger was done in Cleveland. Polarizing figure. His act works with Manny Machado and Tatis and that crew over in San Diego much more. Um, it's cool, and I, I think that's what we want. It's an entertainment business. At the end of the day, it's an entertainment business. If I could hug A.J. Pro, I would because there's so many guys. I'm hosting Trade Deadline Show, and, and we get a brand-new analyst. His name is Buck Showalter. You may have heard of him. Mm-hmm. He's been around the game for a long time, right? Manager. And I did this segment where I went around and We have 25 minutes to go before the deadline comes. And I go, I want all of our guys, Randy, you know, who I am, I kind of produce during commercial breaks. I'm like, Tom, I want you to give me a team that needs to make a move. Harold, give me a team that needs to make a move. I'm going to go to studio 42, Brian Kings with Dan O'Dowd, the former GM of the Rockies and Buck Showalter. I want you guys to give me a team that needs to make a move. And we fly around in our studio. We go over there and Buck Showalter goes, no team needs to make a move. He's like, I commend all the front offices that aren't making moves. And Dan O'Dowd's like, oh, that's a really interesting point, actually. You know what? That's that You're actually right, Buck. Some teams don't need to make a move. I mean, the Cardinals didn't make a move. And and, and I'm like, Wait, guys, 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 we're forgetting that this is an entertainment business. We're forgetting that fans get excited about this stuff. It's baseball. Make a trade just to make a trade. Come on. What is wrong with that idea? Hey. We're so Serious and over the top. Relax and have some fun with it. And that's what A.J. Preller did. Let
3: me tell you something about our business. I think, and this is a Levitard, Dan Levitard line, but I think it applies in sports. Fans are more interested in the transaction than the action. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
6: Especially in baseball. Yep. you, You dream so much more on players in this sport. Because you're not getting the visual of what an NBA player can do or an NFL running back and what he can do. You, you don't see a two-minute drill for a baseball player like you can see time and time again with Tom Brady. But it's the dreaming of, you know, wow, Brad Miller's interesting. Maybe <laughs> he could actually have a month of April someday where he hits seven home runs and drives in 23. <laughs> I mean, we, baseball fans are somewhat morbid that way in a great way I I, you know it's so funny last night I was on the air I know sad news of Tom Seaver passing and I'm interviewing Bob Costas and Bob and I are really good friends and I I say to him I go Bob I know you're a stat geek like I am and I had no idea if he was prepared to say anything about this but Bob always is as you know and I go I don't know what stat jumps off his baseball reference page the most to me If it was his 311 wins, his 2.86 career ERA, his ridiculous amount of complete games which was over 200, or his 61 shutouts. Is there a number that jumps off the page to you? And Bob, without missing a beat, goes, his winning percentage was well over 600. And yet, if you look back at all of his teams he played on, they never had a winning percentage anywhere close collectively of 600. He's like, it was win day every time. He actually gave me, like, the winning percentage of all of the teams he ever played on. But it's just what baseball fans do, man. We love stats. And, yes, it's just it's ingrained. The transaction means something to us.
0: Yeah, Greg, the thought of Nolan Arenado carried us through the winter here in <laughs> St. Louis. You're absolutely right. But speaking of Tom Seaver, is there a moment or a stat or a memory of Tom Seaver that stands out to you?
6: You know, I, every summer I, I get to host the Saturday induction ceremony um, to the crowd. I get to MC it at Doubleday Field for the Spink Award winner, which is a big deal uh, to me, and the Frick Award winner, which is also huge to me, the writer and the uh, broadcaster that's going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I get to do that. I've been doing it for almost 10 years now. And then on Sunday, I host the induction ceremony for MLB Network. Well, the first year I ever got to do it, uh, where I'm standing in front of a couple thousand people and I'm introducing, you know, Dick Enberg, right? Like, think about that for a second. Um, I'm waiting behind the stage for all the Hall of Famers to get off the bus and they come, you know, shuffling up the stairs and they have assigned seating. And my job is to stand up and do what Gary Thorne did for years, what George Grant did for years, if you watched Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, you know how it works. On Sunday now, Brian Kenny used to do this because I'm on TV. and But it's a Saturday, and I get to introduce all of the living Hall of Famers that are in attendance. To me, it's the greatest the first year I ever did it, I'm standing there. And i be—I got to be honest with you, I was nervous. <laughs> I, don't I mean, these, blame are all my, these are all my childhood heroes. Imagine that. You're waiting for these guys to come off. You don't want to botch it. You don't want to like mess this thing up. And I remember a Tom Seaver walks by, and he, I'm standing there waiting. I don't know who watches MLB Network. I have no idea if any of these guys even know who I am. But they were so warm, so nice to me. They just played golf in their Hall of Fame tournament earlier that morning. And Tom Seaver walks up, and there's something about him, because I heard so much about him. I watched Bob Costas' interview that he did uh, earlier that year at Studio 42. He is just hes so articulate, so high-end smart. I had no idea what he thought about my act. And he walks up, and he shakes my hand, and he's like, Greg, love watching you on TV. Great hair. <laughs> and coming from Tom Stever. I was like, whoa, (laughs) Tom Seaver, arguably the best hair in baseball history. I was like, this is the greatest dude. That was my one great interaction with him. I, I chummed it up with him a couple times after that. But talk about making somebody feel comfortable. Before like a nerve wracking moment, Tom Seaver did that for me.
3: When I was like ten or eleven years old, and we played pickup baseball. When I was a kid, I would when I would pitch, I would try to drag my right knee on the ground and try to get my my right knee the, the der, pants dirty so that I could be like Tom Seaver because I love that motion so much. It was called drop
6: and drive, yep. right? Like that. He literally believed in that. Used the mound. It was designed for a reason. And it's funny that you say that because there's so many pitchers that were impacted by it. I was talking to Al Leiter who grew up idolizing um, Tom Seaver. And in many ways, that's exactly what Al did. And that's why, you know, the thing about Tom Seaver, and, and I asked Al, you know, so many kids don't even know anything about him in terms of what his stuff was. He said power fastball, great slider. But the key to what he brought to the table was his ability to shorten the distance between the mound and home plate, even though he wasn't that big of a guy, he got every square inch out of his width, out of his drive. He went all the way down the mound. And by the time he let go of the baseball, you've heard the term, late life. That late life happened very late against the opposition, and it screwed people up. It was hard to barrel up Tom Seaver. It wasn't just swing and miss. He missed a lot of barrels. Because of the late life, and that's because he shortened the distance. It was a uh, something he talked about to anybody that wanted to talk pitching with him. He was he was a savant when it came to the mechanics of pitching.
3: Hey, Greg, one more thing, and uh, it's probably not going to happen, but there's a, an outside chance. Could the Detroit Tigers make the playoffs?
6: I, isn't that crazy? <laughs> and I, I, but yes, anything can happen because the year 2020 is bonkers. And yes, the Marlins can make the playoffs. The Giants can make the playoffs. The Detroit Tigers can make the playoffs. This team is fresh off being so bad they get the number one pick. It's Spencer Torkelson, who, by the way, if you didn't follow college baseball, was like what Mark McGuire was to the St. Louis Cardinals when no one knew he was on steroids. But we all kind of did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spencer Torkelson is a man among boys. And it's so funny because Al Avila came out and said he's not going to be in the big leagues at any point. Well, time Real quick, real quick, Al. You're telling me you're not going to let this kid who's ready for the big leagues jump into a postseason with the Detroit Tigers because you just know that you'll be back in the postseason in three, four, five years from now. What? Come on. AL Central is much improved. White Sox aren't going anywhere. Same thing for the Twins. The Indians traded away a number two starter, and they still have the best rotation in the American League. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, they might lose Francisco Lindor, but they'll figure out a way to – they got this kid, uh, uh, Arias, in, in the deal with the Padres, was a stud, shortstop. I don't think they're going anywhere either. Uh, I'm sorry. You cannot assume. That's why I was so happy to see the Marlins go get Starling Marte. You cannot assume. If God loving us the way we think he does, we're going to get a 162-game season going forward starting next year. If that happens, are you really telling me that I will be sitting here with less than a month to go in a regular season saying, the Marlins, the Giants, and the Tigers have a shot at getting into the postseason. I'm not going to say that for the next three to four years. I love the pitch of the Marlins. It's just a marathon, man. It's too many games. Yep. It breaks you down. So the Tigers need to do something. Bring up this kid because I would love to see the Tigers squeak in. It would be a great story for baseball.
3: Greg, have a great Labor Day weekend and hit him well. I'll, I'll try to shoot an
6: 89 again today, Randy.
3: <laughs> You're the best. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, my man. <laughs> See you, guys. See you, Greg. Greg your MLB Network on 101 ESPN. By the way, Michelle, Detroit has won 7 of 10, and they're only a game and a half behind Toronto wow. for a playoff spot in the American League after as bad as they've been for the last three years. That's crazy. Yeah, unreal. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it coming your way on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101
3: ESPN. (laughs) We want your text, 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to talk to Dennis Moore. He's the chief revenue officer for St. Louis City SC, and he's going to tell us how you can put a deposit down on city tickets. Plus, later in the show, Jeremy Rutherford is going to talk to the blues trade of Jake Allen, and Tony Larusa is going to join us at 930. So a lot coming your way here. It's going to be fun.
0: It's a big show still ahead.
3: Yeah. Michelle, I'll get things started with Take It or Leave It. I don't know if you saw Phil Mickelson tweet the other night, to Tiger Woods. Dear Tiger, thank you for all that you've done for this great game of golf. No one has benefited more than me, and I just wanted you to know that I appreciate you and all you've done. That's all. Thank you. Take it or leave it. This tells you that Phil thinks Tiger is done.
0: I'm going to leave it I think Phil might have just left his financial advisor and (laughs) realized how Tiger has grown the game of golf and all those endorsements that Phil has racked up over the years are certainly, uh, you know, at least in part, because of Tiger Woods.
3: That's a possibility. I just wonder if the way that Tiger has played, if Phil, who has developed a really good relationship Mm -hmm. with him, if he, he looks at him and kind of feels sorry for him.
0: Perhaps, but Tiger Woods is so controlled he likes to control everything i don't think that he would tell anyone he's ready to hang it up or let that messaging Mm. escape his bubble before he has controlled the narrative i don't think that that he would tell phil and how you know even give phil the opportunity to tweet something like this
3: and phil didn't even tag tiger he said it was you're just tiger with no at tiger woods he didn't at him
0: he didn't even add him. <laughs> how good can their relationship be, Randy? Yeah, good, if he didn't even add him. <laughs> I
3: wonder if he could, he could even DM him. Probably not. Tiger probably doesn't follow Phil.
0: Let's see how many people Tiger Woods follows on Twitter. That's a great question. you think he's one of those guys that follows no one?
3: Yeah. I think that's He
0: follows different. 30 people. Let's see if Phil ooh, follows Rolex. Made golf. Okay. Okay. I am not see. he follows the Yankees, interesting, and the Dodgers, hmm. but no Phil Mickelson.
3: That kind of sucks.
0: He's not following any golfers, it doesn't seem, as I do, okay. a- except for Cheyenne Woods.
3: Which makes sense. Obviously. This is nice.
0: Yep. But uh, yeah, I think that might be the only golfer, is Cheyenne.
3: And I'm looking, Phil follows 210, and he does follow a lot of golfers, and I haven't seen Tiger yet. Hmm. Okay, maybe they just text. Follows John Daly.
0: (laughs) You think those two are DMing?
3: Oh, there's no doubt. (laughs) Tiger Tracker. He follows Tiger Tracker.
0: Oh, that's cool.
3: Yeah. Tiger Tracker is great, by the way.
0: I don't know if Tiger even really runs his social media account. I don't even know if Tiger Woods has the password to his Twitter account. Yeah, probably not. You know? Okay, so, Randy, yesterday we had a conversation about the NFL in St. Louis. We wanted to gauge the appetite yes. from our character and Smallman listeners, and we threw up a poll on social media. There are still 43 minutes left to vote. We have about 4,000 people who've checked in already, and... We have a pretty much dead split result. Uh, last night, I texted both you and Scott. It was 50-50 even for basically the entire day. Now, yes, people who do want to hear, NFL coverage on Character and Smallman is at 49.8, and no, is at 50.2. Wow. So if you have a, an opinion one way or another, head to M. Smallman or 101 ESPN and cast your vote, but take it or leave it. You learned nothing about the appetite for the, for the NFL in St. Louis after yeah.
7: yesterday.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll take that.
7: That's like 4,000 votes. I know. I still have no
0: (laughs) idea what to do or how to approach this. And I
3: I think there's a difference between, you know, because I got a lot of responses that we don't want to hear you breaking down games. We're never going to break down NFL games. What we're going to do when we talk NFL is news and notes and storylines and maybe a little fantasy here and there, but it's not like we're going to come in on Monday morning and say, okay, here's what happened in that Bears-Lions game. It's just not going to happen.
0: It was just so interesting, you know, had hundreds of responses to read them. It was one person checking in and saying, absolutely. How can you not talk about the NFL this fall? The next person, I will change the station if Mm -hmm. you talk about the NFL this fall. Next person, please only talk about the Chiefs. The next person, not not everybody in St. Louis likes the Chiefs. Do not talk about the Chiefs. It was a very polarizing question.
3: Really interesting, and... There are a lot of people, A, that don't want us to mention the Chiefs at all. Right. But also a lot of people that all they want to hear about is the lawsuit. I know. It's great.
0: I think we we can't go wrong talking about the lawsuit. We'll put it no. that
3: way. Yeah, And we will. As, as details trickle out, we will absolutely provide those for you. All right, Scotty, what do you got for us? From the 417, let's change gears back to the Blues. Take it or leave it. The
7: Blues received too little for Jake Allen.
3: I'm going to leave that. One year left at four point three five million in a flat salary cap. I'm going to leave that.
0: I'm going to leave it too. I don't really know what they expected to get from for him in return.
3: By the way, Phil does follow Tiger. Nice. Uh, we Jake Allen is really good, but the fact of the matter is this was a salary dump, and that's what it comes down to. It 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 wasn't. It, the the trade had nothing to do with Jake Allen's quality of play or what he might be in the future. It had everything to do with clearing salary cap space. So it is what it is.
0: And even though Jake Allen did play well for you this season, he's never really established himself as the number one guy that the yeah. team would rally around, while Jordan Binnington has done that. Jordan
3: Binnington was in the Nets as you won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. That's all you need to say.
0: Exactly.
7: From the 636, take it or leave it, Jim Edmonds should be the Cardinals hitting coach at some point in the next five years. Um, Yeah, I'll take it. Why not?
0: He's clearly a a savant. He knows exactly what he's talking about, and he's worked with the Cardinals before. Yeah,
3: He knows hitting, and they love him. Yesterday, actually, he uh, walked in on Jimmy Hayes during the the Mike Schilt Zoom, and they had a nice talk. So, yeah, I think that'd be a good fit. At least have him help guys out.
0: Mm -hmm.
7: This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will win the NL Central by more than two games.
3: Leave it.
0: I'm going to leave it. It's going to be close, though. They do
3: have a nice schedule going down the stretch, but Chicago's pretty darn good.
7: Take it or leave it, the Cubs don't finish in second place. Uh,
0: Meaning they finish in finish first? They finish in first.
3: Take it how you want. Well, there's no way they're not finishing first or second. Right.
0: I'm going to... Wait, so you said they don't finish second? They don't
3: so finish second. 1st
0: I'm going to leave it. I, I think that... Wait, hold on. They don't finish second?
3: Yeah. It's a so so first or
7: third pretty. First much. or
3: second.
0: Yeah,
7: or... <laughs> so that one was confusing yeah. now from the text line. Thank you. I'm uh, gonna
3: well I am gonna say this. The the Cubs are gonna finish in first in the division. If you want something definitive, the Cubs are gonna win the division.
7: This one from the three one four. Take it or leave it. Billy Huso turns into Jordan Bennington and uh, takes over as the starter by the end of the year. Leave it.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna leave that too. Because didn't Jordan Bennington surpass him? Yes, he did. So I think if he was going yeah. to ascend to that level, he might have. He had the opportunity he to, sure right? He sure did.
7: That's what we got today. All
3: right. Thanks, Scotty. You got it. Coming up next, we are going to go back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Dennis Moore is the Chief Revenue Officer of St. Louis City, and you can put a deposit down on season tickets. We're going to talk to Dennis about how you can do that next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman
2: Podcast
3: on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We're all excited about St. Louis City SC as they approach their opening day in 2023. But a lot of things happening with St. Louis City SC, including your ability to get tickets. And we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The chief revenue officer for St. Louis City SC is Dennis Moore. Dennis, great to have you with uh, Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker. How are you doing this morning? Uh, Doing great, Michelle and Randy. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Well, Dennis, we have to talk about season ticket deposits because everyone's been talking about it here in St. Louis. They have the chance, fans have a chance to become a city founder and the way that this is going to work, I'm reading directly from the stlcitysc.com website, is that fans can place their season ticket deposit beginning at 10 a.m. Central Time on September 16th, 2020 and as I'm reading here, it says that all deposits are going to be prioritized in the order that they were placed. So I imagine Dennis, that a lot of people are going to be sitting around their computers on the 16th, wanting. To be one of the first people to get in to do this so um are you guys concerned about the traffic that you're going to experience that day
8: uh no we're, we're not concerned we're extremely excited <laughs> uh it's you know since we, since we launched the brand a couple weeks ago the uh the community support and and the overwhelming uh interest in the club has been uh awesome and and obviously the season ticket deposit campaign is another step uh, in that excitement so we're really encouraging our fans Uh, Really go to our website for the next couple of weeks. All of the information is live on the site as you're experiencing right now. Uh, Make sure you're educated on the process. So then at 10 a.m. on the 16th, be ready to place your deposit. We're expecting overwhelming demand. Uh, And it is important that you get that deposit in sooner rather than later.
3: And it is a maximum of eight ticket deposits, and those are $50 each for the supporter sections and reserve seating. Plus premium seating is $100 per account, and suites are $2,500 per account. But I want to, Dennis, make sure that people know about the supporter sections because those are what are going to make being at a STL City game fun.
8: You're exactly right. And, and to clarify, it's it's one deposit per account. Uh, uh, then you designate however many season tickets you want to purchase. So, forever, uh, so for
3: however many tickets you want, it's $50? bucks. That is correct. Okay, got it's it. It's
8: just 50 bucks, depending on the level. But you're, you're exactly right. The supporter sections uh, are going to be behind our North goal, uh, approximately 3,000 seats. And that's really, uh, if you're interested in those seats, you can expect to uh, be on your feet, chanting, uh, si- singing our songs, beating the drums. Uh, that really will be where the energy for our match day experience comes from. So we're excited to work with all the local supporter groups and, and really help us build what that match day experience is going to be like.
0: And Dennis, uh, aside from the supporter section, what are the three other options that fans can have when they place these deposits?
8: You bet. the. the uh, aside from supporter sections, the next option is a general reserved seating deposit. That's what most fans would think of when they think of a traditional season ticket. So that's $50 per account. Uh, the next would be a premium seating deposit. That's $100 per account. That would be a traditional club seat. Uh, we have, we're have we going to have various premium seating options, a little bit of an elevated experience. Uh, and then lastly is a suite experience for the select few that know they want uh, the, the most premium opportunity we're going to have to sit inside. Uh, and really enjoy the suites. That's twenty five hundred dollars if you're interested in owning a suite with us.
3: Dennis Moore is the chief revenue officer for St. Louis City. Okay, uh, right now I have two kids, and they're they're both living at home. And I'm anticipating having four, but but the kids move out. They move to different cities during the course of the next couple of years. Can I change my deposit plan? Like if I if I order four, can I go down to two tickets?
8: You can, absolutely. We, we have designed this so it, it provides the utmost flexibility. So you can select up to uh, that I think I'm going to want to purchase eight season tickets when that opportunity comes. But when our ticket representatives call you at that time, uh, you can go from a general reserve to premium. You can really uh, obviously select the experience at that point that's going to work best for you. So, um, you know, really we're just asking our fans right now, Tell us what you think you're going to be interested in. You're always going to have the opportunity to change your mind at a later date.
3: And by the way, Dennis, one thing that people in St. Louis always ask is, are there going to be PSLs? <laughs> there are not going to be PSLs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. We we don't like those anymore.
0: <laughs> no, we definitely no, no don't. <laughs> Dennis, so Randy asked about a family situation. What if there's a fan out there that's solo and they just want to buy a single ticket?
8: Uh, single, you know, we, we certainly would sell, uh, single, uh, you know, just single season tickets. Uh, but we do also, you know, our, it is our intent to not sell out the entire stadium with season ticket holders. It's very important for us that we're going to continue to provide, uh, single tickets on just game by game, uh, perspective. We're going to offer group tickets. We really want to have a diverse uh, opportunity for to, to meet the demands of all of our fans. So, um, obviously, we've got some runway here before uh, 2023. So, as we get closer to that first match in 23, we'll announce more information on single match tickets and group tickets and some of the other products outside of season tickets.
3: And you can always learn more at stlcitysc.com to learn about tickets. Meanwhile, one of the reasons that we got the franchise is because the corporate community in St. Louis really got behind the effort of MLS for the Lou. And I know there are a lot of businesses that will want to be associated because of the popularity of the product. What if somebody that's in charge of maybe corporate advertising for their company wants to get involved with your company? How can people get that partnership rolling right now? The the easiest way to get in touch with us at this point is to,
8: uh, and this information is on our website, the email address is simply sponsorships at stlcitysc.com. I actually would get that email and I'll be in touch with those people. But you're right, the the corporate community uh, is showing up in a big way, has a lot of interest, um, and really excited about the future of soccer and the future of St. Louis and um, you know, so we're engaged in a lot of conversations right now and, and hope to have some announcements before too long in terms of some of the corporate sponsorships that are coming to fruition.
3: Dennis, I want to get your take on that, uh, on the response, because our city has been accused before of not having great corporate backing for a sports team. So from what you're seeing in your role, uh, what do you think? Uh, the support has been overwhelming, and I think it really starts with uh, St. Louis
8: as being the soccer capital in this country. The, the youth participation, the knowledge of the sport, the passion for the sport uh, is absolutely blowing us away, and I think that really rolls up to companies wanting to be involved. Um, and, and so the, the interest that we have seen, I can't comment on, on previous things in, in St. Louis, but what we have seen has been overwhelming. Um, And and really excites us not only to build this over the next couple of years, but uh, certainly when we get to that first match in 23, um, you know, we are very confident that the corporate community is, is showing up and supporting this club in a big way.
0: Dennis, everyone was so excited to see what the name of the club would be, what the crest would look like, what the colors would be. And after that was announced, it seemed like everyone I spoke to said that they were going to the website to buy a scarf or a shirt or a koozie. They just wanted some sort of gear. So I don't know if you have any early returns on that, but what has the merchandise sales aspect of this look like?
8: So the merchandise sales, and really when you look at everything that we're measuring at this point in our organization, whether that's social media following hits to our website, certainly merchandise sales is a key component of that. Uh, But not only from a merch perspective did we uh, break some records uh, on first day for a new franchise in Major League Soccer, uh, but every metric that we're evaluating, whether it's making significant uh, hiring announcements on the sporting side Really, every one of these announcements is showing a, a massive peak in interest for the club. Uh, and so all of those metrics uh, really are pointing in the right direction that we're, we're headed headed on the right tra- trajectory.
3: Hey, Dennis, before we let you go, you mentioned the runway that you have in preparing all of these items. Now you even have more runway because of the, the date being changed of opening STL City SC from 2022 to 2023. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for you?
8: Uh, so, uh, certainly there uh, within our organization and we're, we're still small and mighty at this point. There's, uh, you know, less than 10 employees. Certainly there was a level of disappointment for the fans and us, uh, and certainly a level of disappointment for the soccer community. Uh, however, uh, you know, I will tell you that you only get to launch your franchise once, uh, and having that extra w- runway certainly, uh, provides us opportunities and, and a little more flexibility to make sure we're being very strategic and doing this the right way. So, um, definitely some public disappointment and, and the fans and us being disappointed, but excited for the opportunity to have a little extra time.
3: Dennis, we'll do this a lot as we go through these next couple of years. We appreciate your time. We're looking forward to tickets going on sale once again on September 16th, 10 a.m. STL uh, com, and that's where people can make their deposits. Thanks for having me on this morning. Anytime. Thank you, Dennis. Dennis Moore, Chief Revenue Officer for St. Louis City SC. So, Michelle, I, I'd read before, and t- t- tell me if you've read this, I heard that the St. Louis economy is lagging and that the future was not <laughs> bright for the St. Louis City economy. This guy tells us he's overwhelmed by the response of the St. Louis corporate com- community. What should I believe?
0: Randy, didn't I hear as well that no professional sports team other than the Cardinals could ever exist in St. Louis? I
3: did hear that, too. Yeah,
0: Weird. Weird. <laughs> seems like whoever said that might have been lying.
3: Lying or stupid. <laughs> Got to be one or the other. Or you could be both. <laughs> that could be. I think that might be the case. Next up, we want to hear from you. The Cardinals lose last night. And the big thing today is, if the Blues don't re-sign Alex Petrangelo, do you regret trading Jake Allen? I'm going to say no, and I'm going to tell you why next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: It's 8-19 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carricker and Smallman. The Cardinals coming off uh, 4-3 loss last night in Cincinnati. They're in Chicago today. And, Michelle, they're in their hotel rooms in Chicago. They're still quarantined. They can't go out on the town. So they just have to live with last night's bottom of the ninth walk-off loss to the Reds and just kind of take it in their rooms today.
0: Well, hopefully they're not doing much and they're relaxing and they're resting up for the schedule that they have ahead. But, I mean, Randy, these guys, they know exactly what to do being stuck in a hotel room, okay? They've got that routine down. They've
3: been there, absolutely. (laughs) There's a lot of mattresses taking a beating from baseballs today.
0: That's right. Well, hopefully (laughs) not. Hopefully they're resting again because they're going to need to preserve themselves. They've got a lot of baseball coming up.
3: The Blues trade Jake Allen to Montreal for a couple of draft picks yesterday. The Blues trade Jake to Montreal for along with the seventh rounder for a third and a seventh. And people are wondering, Michelle, if the Blues don't re-sign Alex Petrangelo and they'd have to make more moves to re-sign Petro. There's no doubt about that. But they're wondering if they don't re-sign Petro, is this a bad trade? I don't see how it can be. And here's why. Number one, Jake Allen is an unrestricted free agent after this year. So is Jordan Binnington. One of those goalies you're anticipating is going to have a good year. And as Doug Armstrong has mentioned, Jordan Biddington with what he's done over the last calendar year, plus he's their guy. So do you want to get something for Jake Allen or not? And especially because you've given Billy Huso a one way contract, whether he's, Playing in Springfield next season or in St. Louis, he's making 750 dollars It's a one-way deal. So you don't pay him any less. He still counts against your cap if he is in Springfield. The other point is that you have Vince Dunn as a restricted free agent this year. So even if you don't re-sign Petro, you'll have to sign him. Plus, next year, in addition to Binnington being an unrestricted free agent, Jaden Schwartz is an unrestricted free agent, and next year you have Thomas and Cairo as restric- restricted free agents. So you knew you weren't going to have Jake Allen beyond next year anyway. So get something for him. Manage your assets and get something back in return for those assets. You say, well, it's only a number three. Jordan Bennington was a number three.
0: There you go. And Jake Allen, will his value ever be as high as it was coming off the performance that you saw saw from him this year? So if you're Army, you're working from a position of power. And you're right. You want to get something in return. And I would always feel more comfortable. Hindsight's always 20-20. If Jordan Bennington comes out next season and he doesn't perform up to expectations and Jake Allen does elsewhere, we'll always look back and say maybe you should have made a different decision. But as we sit here today on September 3rd, I feel more comfortable rolling the dice on the guy that you know can give you what you need in the highest pressure situations.
3: Right. And I was telling you earlier that I'm not a big fan, and I know it's Hot Take Thursday here on 101 ESPN, but I'm not a big fan of the hot take in which a player can be defined by one game or one series. You can't define Jordan Bennington on one game or one series. You can't say that James Harden sucks who's led the league in scoring for three years in a row because he has a bad game seven in a playoff series. Yes, people have bad games, and some guys aren't as good in the postseason. But are you prepared to tell me that Barry Bonds, who is not a good postseason performer, are you prepared to tell me that Barry Bonds wasn't a good player?
0: I am not prepared to tell you that.
3: Thank you. Because that's a stupid hot take There are good hot takes and stupid hot takes And I like when other people have stupid hot takes I just don't like making them myself And here's my thing, Michelle If somebody does have a hot take like that Says that if James Harden has a bad game 7 That that's going to tell me all I need to know about his career Then I'm, I'm rooting for James Harden to have a great game <laughs> I really am Just to make you look stupider than you already have proven yourself to be
0: Yeah that's a pretty severe hot take. And so I would be rooting for James Harden to prove that person wrong.
3: And I did that last night. My my hot take, and I, I think this is going to be really interesting. My hot take is that James Harden and Russell Westbrook are going to beat the Lakers.
0: Whoa. Yep. We need a sizzle emoji. <laughs> that sound of
3: just happened.
0: Sound of something on your Traeger grill there, Randy. <laughs> right. Okay, and it's, tell, tell me why.
3: Number one... I think they've kind of figured things out defensively. Last night, with everything that went wrong offensively, the Rockets beat a pretty good Oklahoma City team because they wound up playing defense, especially against Chris Paul. Normally, in the playoffs, when you're watching the Rockets, it's 125-120, and it's a running game. Last night, they win 104-102, and they play really good defense and they they won the game because of a great play by Harden at the end. Are they going to be able to defend AD? No. But my question is who on the Lakers is going to defend the three-point line when Harden and Westbrook are firing from three? I don't think that they have enough guys to come out to the perimeter and defend the Rockets players. And I know the Rockets play small ball and they'll have a difficult time defending, but I think they'll be able to outscore the Lakers.
0: Are you going to place some money on it, Randy? Potentially on your FanDuel Paradise y- yes, sportsbook app?
3: I am. I'm gonna I, I'm I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is. <laughs>
0: there you go. Yeah. Are you going to be more locked into the NBA playoffs now?
3: I always am. As the NBA I don't watch an NBA game start to finish during the regular season. I just don't. Yeah, I don't either. But once the playoffs hit, and especially once we get here, I think it's really compelling. I love it.
0: I love it, too, and especially because we don't have Blues hockey to watch, too. Yeah. You have the Cardinals game. You flip over to the NBA games. It's been re- They've had really exciting games.
3: And your take on the NBA, I never thought of it this, until you brought it to me from a soap opera perspective. I think it's perfect, and I think the NBA does it, does it really well.
0: The drama involved in the NBA between the players and, you know, on the court, off the court. It is. It's a soap opera. It's fun. It's like Days of Our Lives or as As the world turns. It's fun to follow along. It's easy to follow along with the storylines and then when you get games like, like you've been getting out of the NBA the past couple seasons, it makes it even more fun to watch.
3: And they kind of draw you in. Like, how many years, how many seasons have we spent asking where LeBron is going to go?
0: We've locked countless hours yeah, talking about, Le- about LeBron and the off-field drama in the NBA is more fun to talk about mm. with the nfl it's it's criminal activity a lot of times it's domestic violence it's it's things that are heavy and hard to talk about whereas when the in the nba i'm not saying that that doesn't exist there either some of the heavy stuff but with them it's more bickering it's more players having feuds with each other it's players having feuds it's with, kardashians it, yeah there you go it's more reality tv it's fun to watch
3: my all time favorite is Delonte West sleeping with LeBron's mom.
0: Does it oh get God, any better Brandy. than that? Is that confirmed?
3: Delonte West confirmed it.
0: Okay, well. <laughs> you did hear it from the source, I guess.
3: That's <laughs> Well, one of the sources. Is that a great soap opera though?
0: Who was the other one? Matt Barnes and
3: uh, the guard. Who from was the Derek other Derek Fisher, right? Derek
0: Fisher. Yeah. yeah, about driving over there, trying to beat him up or beating yeah. him up. I can't at remember. At a barbecue. There you go. At a barbecue. It's they, crazy. They had a
3: fight because Barnes was with Fisher's wife, right? Yes,
0: yeah, something like that. Yeah, his
3: ex-wife. He drove.
7: Yeah. He drove 95 miles there over you there. Go. I remember <laughs> it was a long
0: drive. Hey. He had some business to handle.
3: Is this not what you would see in a soap opera, though?
0: This is. This reality TV. It's fantastic. And then you've got guys on a banana boat with Gabrielle Union. It's crazy.
3: You can hear all of that right here on 101 ESPN. We've got things happening in terms of the NBA playoffs. Tonight, you've got the Clippers and Nuggets, game number one. That's at 730 here on 101 ESPN. And then you've got uh, another NBA game coming up soon, I think. Oh, I know there's one. Oh, there, yeah, there we go. Uh, I'm looking at the board here. I'm trying to find the next one. I know we've got them like every night. We've got NBA games. So just stay tuned. To 101 I'm just ESPN.
0: zeroed in on that grilling at home with Brad Thompson. Beer can chicken. I need to watch that.
3: Yum. <laughs> yeah, you can see that at 101ESPN.com. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got a fight on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman
2: podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome to the fight on character and small men in the red corner average Joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of Mort-
0: Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33, which means it's time for the fight. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger today. John is with us. Good morning, John. How are you doing on this Thursday?
4: All right, dude, just fine. How are you guys all doing?
0: We're all doing great. We're all doing great. Getting closer to the weekend. Thanks for asking. All right, well, let's rock and roll here. I Again, rock and roll. I need to go for something different. I feel like such a soccer dad. I say, hey, guys, ready to rock and roll? Grab your snacks. <laughs> grab your water bottles. Anyway. All right, John, question number one. The New England Patriots have dominated the AFC East for a long time. When's the last time they didn't win their division? And here's a hint from Scotty. The Dolphins won it this particular year. Was it 2002 2005, or
4: 2008? Um, Let's go with 2005.
7: Question number two for you, John. Aroldis Chapman received a three-game suspension for throwing at a raised player the other night. What team did Chapman make his MLB debut with? Was it the Cincinnati Reds, the New York Yankees, or the Chicago Cubs? Uh, that was with the Reds.
0: John, who has won the most games as a manager in Cardinal history? Is it Tony La Russa, Red Dean's, or Whitey Whitey Herzog?
7: I believe it is Red Chainedy's.
4: Hopefully Tony didn't pass him and I don't remember, but <laughs> I believe it's Red Chadings.
7: All right, and your final question, John. What team did Brad Miller make his MLB debut with? Was it the Seattle Mariners, the Philadelphia Phillies, or the Tampa Bay Rays? Uh, Tampa Bay race.
0: Okay. Checking score here. Randy is on his way in. Two debut questions, Scotty.
7: Yeah, I've just <laughs> I just felt that's just what I was feeling last night. You know, when I get in the zone for the fight, Michelle, like I'll, I'll look around ESPN. I'll sometimes be watching TV. Maybe yeah. I'll have a conversation with somebody and I'm like, you know what? Debuts. This is the thing today.
0: Okay. So there's a theme sometimes.
7: Exactly. Like we had uh, MLB trade deadline last time uh, oh. on what was that? Monday show. And just, just trying to keep it interesting. Keep the fighters in their feet.
0: Switch it up. We'll keep Randy on his feet, too, obviously. Speaking of that, where is Randy? Is he out in the hallway chatting? What is he doing? He's too social. Come on, Randy. Sorry about this, John. We're getting Randy here. I'm problem. He's coming on it. Jeez, come on, Randy. We've been waiting we're for talking. you. Come I'm on. Come on. Come on. I was
3: talking to Mike Ryder about we're, important stuff. We're, we're fighting you? with him.
0: Come on. You left your challenger hanging. John Sorry is with this. us. Hey, John,
3: how you doing? <laughs> All right, how are you, Randy? Good. Sorry about leaving you hanging there. My bad. Yeah. No, ho- no problem.
0: Hopefully, John, it distracted him, and he seems yeah. a little discombobulated now. <laughs> I am
3: discombobulated. Right All right, here
0: we go. Randy, your favorite team, the New England Patriots, mm-hmm. have dominated the AFC East for a long time, as you know. When's the last time they didn't win their division? And Scott has a hint for you. The Dolphins won it this particular year.
3: I believe that was Jake Long's rookie year of 2008. All right, question number two for you,
7: Randy. Aroldis Chapman received a three-game suspension for throwing at a Rays player the other ridiculous. night.
3: ridiculous. How does jo- <laughs> Joe Kelly get eight?
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. Free Joe Kelly.
3: Yeah. Free Joe Kelly. What
7: team did Chapman make his MLB debut with?
3: With the Cincinnati Redlegs.
0: Randy, which manager has won the most games in Cardinal history?
7: It's uh, Tony La Russa. And we'll talk to him at 9.30, by the way.
0: Nice plug, Scotty. N- not
7: that we can tell you if you're right or wrong. Uh, question number four. Squeezing out winds like an automatic juicer.
3: Tony La Russa.
0: What a line.
3: Uh, that's from a song from the late Craig Cornette. What a creative guy. But in 96, when he came here, that the Macarena was hot. Yeah. And uh, so Craig made up that song. It was great. You can find it on YouTube. Just look for... Uh, Tony Larissa song on YouTube. It's great.
0: Squeezing out wins like a juicer.
3: Like an automatic juicer. Love it. Tony Larissa.
7: <laughs> All right. I'm going to try to refocus here for question number four. <laughs> what team did Brad Miller make his MLB debut with?
3: I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Rays. We've got a winner.
2: We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carriker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
0: John Randy being distracted didn't help your cause. He beat you three to one. Let's run through the answers here. The Patriots, the last time they didn't win the AFC East was in two thousand eight when the Dolphins won it, as Randy mentioned. Jake, the Jake Long year, we'll call it.
3: Rams almost beat them in two thousand eight, by the way. Really, Jim Haslett? Yeah. Uh, Stephen Jackson got injured. They were killing the Cowboys. They were up on the Cowboys by about twenty five. Still playing Steven Jackson in the fourth quarter. He gets hurt injures a quad, and everybody around that team, and I kind of tend to agree, believes that because with Brady out, if they would have had Steven Jackson that year, they would have beaten the Patriots up there.
0: Wow. Um, Araldis Chapman made his Major League debut with the Cincinnati Reds. The manager who's won the most games in Cardinal history is our friend who's squeezing out wins like a juicer. It is Tony Larusa, who we will talk to him in a minute. Oh, here we go. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. yeah. This, is, this is a spectacular song. Cardinal fans, they love Tony Other teams, they know he'll
3: cook you
0: good,
8: he wins. It's business, soon another flag will be flying in St. Louis with Ozzy and
2: Willie.
3: I say the red <laughs> birds are going to the series. The
2: birds are in first and they're gonna win the pennant. The guy that is gonna help him win
0: it. He squeezes out the winds like an automatic juicer. Johnny, Johnny. Hi. <laughs> John, you didn't know you were gonna get a bonus song here. <laughs> Final oh, point. Free, free show. There you go. Um, Brad Miller made I know everyone's dying to know about the, the answer to the last question after that song. But Brad Miller did make his major league debut with the Seattle Mariners. John, thank you so much for playing. Oh, no problem, guys. Have a good day. Thank you. We are going to need... Should we intro Tony LaRusso with that song? I wonder if he remembers, yeah. What was his reaction to that song? Did he enjoy it? I don't even remember,
3: but I think that that's something that we should lead into him with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that was... I think it's a great a, idea. Amazing, that song.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. We need to have a musical creative person around here. I don't know who could do that, but Maybe we,
0: some raps. Yeah.
3: Oh, we could do that.
0: I happen to know a rapper in Grieve Core.
3: From the mean streets?
0: From the mean streets. Now, he's very difficult to get. He's very prominent. He rarely, rarely comes out of hiding to do a rap. But maybe if I ask him to do a favor for the show, he'll do it.
3: Okay. I like that. I like that a lot.
0: I'll I'll get on the line with him today.
3: All right. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) That is the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues have traded Jake Allen. Is anything else on the horizon in terms of transactions? Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic, will tell us next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character
2: and Smallman
3: podcast on 101
2: ESPN.
3: Our buddy Jeremy Rutherford is on the line on the Braun and Crouppen celebrity line. Michelle Smallman is here. Jeremy and Michelle, do you know why they only put 239 beans in Irish stew? No. Why, Randy? If you put in one more, it would be too farty. Oh my goodness. Thanks for the dad Joe character. <laughs> I figured a couple of St. Louis people would get that.
0: Wow. Good yeah. one. Good yeah. one.
3: For sure. <laughs> You're laughing hard, JR. Well, I'm laughing because of uh,
9: beans and, and farty. <laughs> How you doing? Good. Doing well. You know, Randy, I've always told you that you're great at the teases. Uh, you know, in the back of my I was joining you pretty soon, coming on to, to talk about the blues, of course. And, and as I pulled into the driveway and you said, coming up next, we're going to talk about Jake Allen. I was like, oh, great. I can't wait to hear this. Oh, shoot. I'm going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> me. I forgot for
3: a second. Yeah, you teased me and you got me. Uh, first thing, were you surprised that the Blues were able to move the four point three five million?
9: No, I don't think so. I think that uh, you know we've been talking about the Blues possibly dealing Jake Allen for a couple of years, guys, and there was just so much term left on that deal the past couple of years, two, three years left, and so I think everybody thought when you got it down to one year, there was a possibility that they could uh, could move that four point three five. And then when you add to it the fact that he had played very, very well the last year and a half or so, two years, you know, I think it was a possibility. Now the one thing is this goalie market's going to be flooded with a lot of guys available and then also uh, some free agents. And so, you know, This soon, Uh, maybe a little bit surprised, uh, but it sounded like Montreal wanted him to be the backup for Carey Price and obviously just had to give up the uh, draft pick. So I'm not really surprised that they were able to unload the contract.
0: JR, how much does this say about the Blues' faith in Jordan Bennington?
9: I think a lot. I think Doug Armstrong said it yesterday when he said – when we think of Jordan Bennington, we think back to the 2019 Jordan Bennington. And while it was just one season, he was absolutely terrific, uh, Michelle, and, and pretty good this year. Not as great as the Stanley Cup season. Uh, but I really don't think you can put a lot of stock into that playoff. First of all, you know, I think it's a misconception. A lot of people say he was bad the entire time in Edmonton and, and those first couple round robin games, the exhibition game. Uh, really good. So, uh, sure, you're going to look at the playoffs as when he needs to perform, and he didn't. Uh, but I think that uh, the Blues definitely showed a lot of faith in making this move, saying that Bennington is their guy.
5: Jr.
3: when this all happened, I think all of us naturally thought, okay, they're starting the process of clearing space to sign Alex Petrangelo. Even if Petro would sign for a, a salary commensurate with the other top-paid guys on the team, even if he would take... St- $7.5 million a year, it would be a chore for the Blues to get to that level of salary cap space, wouldn't it? Yeah,
9: it definitely would. I mean, you're going to save uh, some with the Jake Allen contract. He made the $4.35 million, but you still bring up Billy Huso counters that by 750000 so there's $3.6 million in savings there. Sure. Uh, but the Blues sitting now with about $6.5 million of cap and still have to sign Vince Dunn as well as Alex Petrangelo. So, you still need to definitely get to 8 or $9 million, uh, to get translow in the fold. And then uh, if you think about Vince Dunn, you're adding at least a couple more million. So, you know, we've been going back and forth on this uh, for weeks that Jake Allen would be one of the guys possibly that would have to get moved, uh, potentially an Alexander Steen buyout, but Doug Armstrong this week, he didn't sound like a guy who wasn't bringing Alexander Steen back. And I still question whether you would be able to move Tyler Bozak with $5 million left on the final year of his contract. So those are the types of things that are definitely going to happen to get to that number to keep Alex Petrangelo. And uh, Doug Armstrong took one step yesterday, but there's definitely two or three more left.
0: JR Army said to Randy and I when he joined us that he and Petro had to find that number, that number that would make sense for both of them. After you hear the news about Jake Allen, do you th- assume that they have gotten to that common ground?
9: Well, when I uh, heard about the Jake Allen trade yesterday when it went down, that's kind of your first assumption is maybe there's been some progress made uh, with Alex Petrangelo, but uh, that's not the case. And, you know, I think Doug Armstrong, though, he, he's so smart in that he has to get his ducks in a row. And, and he realizes that if you're going to sign Alex Petrangelo, at some point, you're going to need that that cap space. He said it a week ago when he said that, you know, if we can find some common ground with Alex Petrangelo, then we're going to have a lot of parts to move. But in the NHL, deals are there when they're there. So if you bypass the the move with Montreal yesterday, and let's just say you wait another week or two or three, look, we're a month from free agency. If you wait and then you try to circle back with one of these teams, maybe Montreal – already got their goalie. Maybe they already made a move. So I think it's a situation where Doug realizes what that common ground is going to look like. And while they're not there yet with Petrangelo's camp, he's got to find a way to clear that space. He found a deal that he liked getting picks back from Montreal and, uh, and made the move. So I, I think he's just got to do what he's got to do at the time.
3: Jr. with the signing of Perunovic, who was the Hobie Baker Award winner, and the presence of Mikola, do you think it's a lock that Vince Dunn is on the team to start the next season? No,
9: and it's a great point. I I don't think that's an absolute lock. I think that... uh Vince Dunn is a good player. I think that he's a guy who uh, doesn't have much leverage because he doesn't have arbitration rights. Um, And they do have some depth at the position. But as you mentioned, Mikola, once he played five games in the league, Uh, Pernovich uh, is going to be a rookie and undersized at that. Terrific player, Holby Baker, but unproven until he gets uh, to the National Hockey League. And so I don't know that a team with a championship window that Doug has said has got a couple more years left. Um, can take uh, an opportunity to, to move events done and count on a Mikula and a Scott Karinovich to come in and get it done. But, you know, it seems like they've been disappointed with Vince Dunn the past couple years in terms of uh, what kind of shape he's been in and then we saw in the postseason after missing so much time uh, he didn't have a good playoff so I don't think it's a lock uh, but I would be a little bit surprised if they decided to go that direction just because of the youth on that side of the defense
3: and by the way I I understand the youth is there but if you're trying to bring Petro back and maybe have him play the left side next year if you're getting close on Petro, another vulnerable salary might be Gunnarsson at a million seven fifty.
9: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, the thing, I've thought about that. The only thing is, it's not much savings if you uh, if you do move him, and it sure is uh, good to have a veteran like him around. You, you, he's not flashy. He's probably not going to be in the lineup every night, and I think people are uh, probably um, you know not en- en- enthused when they watch him play in that top pair with Alex Petrangelo. However, he does. He is a serviceable player, and, and so I think you throw in Perinovich or Nikola and, and you see some mistakes, and this is a team that, that's going to win now. You'd like to have that steady player in Gunnarsson. Uh, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him, but I think at that salary, it probably makes sense to hang on to him a little bit longer.
0: Jar, you mentioned the Blues championship window. How open is that window if Alex Petrangelo doesn't come back to the team?
9: Well, it's a good question, and I do think they're still a competitive team if he if he doesn't come back. But to me, you're not in that group of teams in terms of uh, this is the window. This you can win a Stanley Cup next year or the year after without Alex Petrangelo. And I realize the parody. I realize we saw what happened in Edmonton. Boston gets knocked out. But I just think he means that much to the team from the leadership perspective and and from what he does on the ice. And I think if you have a Colton Preco as the number one pair and you have a Justin Falk as your second guy on the right side, I I just think there's going to be a drop off and not to mention the shock value that you're going to have in the first few months of the season. I mean, you heard it from Ryan O'Reilly and and David Perron. They can't even imagine Alex Petrangelo not being around, not being on this team. So to me, uh, I I think that you're looking at a season where you you just kind of wide eyed, gears and headlight uh, sitting there looking at uh, a team without Alex Petrangelo. So uh, to me, I don't see how they can be the team that uh, Doug Armstrong uh, says they are uh, without Alex Petrangelo.
3: Jr. everybody should have a subscription to The Athletic. We'll start with that because it makes all the difference in the world in terms of your sports knowledge. But tell people, Blues fans, why it's good news for them that Bill Zito was hired as the general manager of the Florida Panthers. <laughs>
9: That is because Bill Armstrong, the Blues' assistant general manager and also the director of amateur scouting, was a candidate for that job and a strong candidate. Randy, they did talk to a lot of people, uh, Florida did, uh, but they hired Bill Zito yesterday, and so Bill Armstrong will remain with the St. Louis Blues for now. He is an up-and-coming executive 50 years old, who's done everything. He's been with the Blues since 2004. He took over for Yarmulkekelanen in 2010. He's been part of uh, drafting players such as David Perron, such as uh, Jordan Bennington, such as Colton Pareko. He's been involved in all these guys. So uh, he's a good guy to have in your organization and the Blues uh, we're wishing the best for him in terms of getting that job, but it looks like Bill Armstrong will remain with the Blues, and uh, that's
3: a good thing if you like drafting good players. No doubt about it. J.R., you're always great. Have a fantastic Labor Day weekend. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll talk to you next week.
9: Thanks. I like to uh, listen to you guys talk about the Blues. I'm glad I listened. <laughs>
3: Thank you. That's our friend and Blues insider Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, and you should get that Athletic subscription. That is uh, on 101 ESPN with Character and Smallman. Next up, a Woj bomb has just dropped. It's amazing. Plus, is this Cardinal stay-off a good thing for them? That's next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101
3: ESPN. Michelle, the last time the Cardinals had a day off was before they came back from their COVID-19 layoff. That was on the 14th of August. So between the 14th of August through the end of that month, which is... 24, 17. For the last 19 days, the Cardinals have played games and they've actually had three double headers in that span. So they've had 22 games in 19 days. And now they're going to have, fortunately for them, a couple of days off in the foreseeable future today and then next Wednesday. I know that they've started hitting and I know people are thinking, OK, they're kind of in a groove, but they're also exhausted. Yeah. And I think it's really important for the club to get this day off.
0: Yeah, you need to recharge the batteries at some point. Take a breather, relax in a hotel, just get your mind away from everything because you do have a a pretty daunting schedule coming up. You're going to be playing a lot of baseball throughout the rest of the month of September. So getting a day like this to rest your body, rest your mind is only a positive thing.
3: And you just look at this next week. Today is Thursday. It's Hot Take Thursday. Yeah, it is. Through next Thursday. Cubs with a single game tomorrow. Doubleheader against the Cubs on Saturday. Cubs single games on Sunday and Monday. Doubleheader against the Twins on Tuesday. Day off Wednesday. Doubleheader against the Tigers on Thursday. So there are a lot of games just coming up in the next week. And these two days off, by the way, next week, that the ninth will be the last Cardinal day off of the regular season.
0: That's a lot of baseball.
3: It is a lot of doubleheaders. So it's a good thing, I believe, that they're getting this day off I wish it were at home. Mm -hmm. I think the players would like to be moving around their house and probably be with their family rather than uh, at a hotel in Chicago. But it is what it is.
0: But at this point in the season, doesn't a hotel feel like your second home already?
3: Yeah, (laughs) with what they have been through, there's no doubt about it. I thought, well, let me put it this way: I was stunned five minutes ago when I saw the Woj bomb. That Steve Nash has been named the next head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. He signs a four-year contract. I watched Steve Nash play down the stretch of his career, like four or five times, went to Suns games, and he was the most energetic basketball player I've ever seen, whether it was on the court or off the court, keeping players engaged when he was on the bench, uh, running all the time. I mean, from the the first warm-up until the end of the game, he was always running. And obviously, an incredibly unselfish player. Two-time MVP, great player. But a first-time coach coaching that team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I don't know. Maybe they're hoping they're getting the next Steve Kerr.
0: Maybe. And Nash has been pursued since he retired in 2015 for coaching gigs, for front office gigs. He was a consultant for the Warriors, so he did forge that strong relationship with Kevin Durant. Obviously, he knows Kyrie's position and can counsel him in that way. And maybe that's what they need is somebody like Nash who's revered and who somebody like Kyrie and Kevin Durant will already respect coming into this.
3: Do you think those guys, specifically Kyrie, respect anybody? I mean, Kyrie didn't want to play with LeBron anymore because he wanted to be the man.
0: But then he kind of got that opportunity. And I and I wonder if it... And then he didn't him.
3: like Brad Stevens because yeah. he was the man.
0: How... Okay, if we're looking at a timetable here, and let's just assume that there might be friction at some point with Kyrie and Steve Nash. There, there might not be, but for purposes sake, let's just assume. How quickly into the timeline do you think there will be friction?
3: I think very quickly. Because Steve Nash is going to have a way that he wants the game to be played. And Kyrie really hasn't coexisted well with any coach since Lou with the the Cavaliers. Whether it was Brad Stevens or last year, uh, they got Kenny Atkinson fired. He, he wasn't even playing, and he got the coach of the Nets fired.
0: You know, he wanted to be the guy, had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I wonder if now, coming off this situation with the Nets, he he just is resigned to the fact. Hey, Katie's going to be the guy. I'm going to be one B. And we're going to go out there and and I'm going to check myself a little.
3: The advantage that they might have here is that at least coming into the situation, Durant and Kyrie came in as friends. Mm -hmm. And if if their friendly relationship is maintained, then they might have a chance to get more out of Kyrie than anybody else has got. But if Kyrie sours on the situation, as we've seen, he can bring teams down. He has that personality and he has that that wherewithal with that personality to do it.
0: I just wonder if looking back on his career if he's looking at this opportunity and saying okay we've got a guy like Nash here who I can obviously learn a lot from who can hopefully teach me some things and if he's approaching it different. I don't know.
3: I I would hope that he reaches a point where he does feel like he can learn something and that he can get better. And I hope for his sake and for the Nets' sake, that he's finally healthy. When's the last
0: time the guy's been healthy? I know. I know. Both of them.
3: Yeah. Michelle, I also want to touch on Leonard Fournette signing with Tampa Bay. That happened late last night. Obviously, they got Brady during the offseason. They got Gronk. They had signed LaShawn McCoy, and they say that he's still going to be on the roster. Leonard Fournette is a guy that seems to fit in with the Tom Brady offense. Going back to Legarrett Blunt or Corey Dillon, the big, bruising back, I was surprised that Tampa Bay signed Fournette, but I think about it a little bit more, and I think it makes sense for them. If they can keep Leonard Fournette reasonably healthy, I think they have so many weapons that they can really score a lot of points.
0: Why not add another weapon to the arsenal, right? Right.
3: Doesn't cost much. Right. And I'm sure that he's going there with the idea that he's going to win.
0: I was just thinking that. If he goes in there with the attitude of, hey, I'm out of that situation in Jacksonville, this is not only a fresh start for me, but a fresh start with a guy who's a proven champion. Because when we talked about a lot of players going into New England and they would just kind of defer to Bill Belichick Mm -hmm. and defer to the Patriot way, a lot of that probably had to do with Tom Brady, with with TB12 falling in line with Bill Belichick. And you look at Tom Brady as the shining example of, hey, if I follow this protocol, I will win. And we've already heard Bruce Arians come out and say, hey, Tom Brady's like another coach on the field. The guys have the ultimate reverence for, for him. They listen to him on the field. He's coaching them and they're paying attention. So if you're a guy like Leonard Fournette and you go there, I, I, that was the mentality that I would be taking if I was him. Hey, this is a rare opportunity for me to potentially win something here.
3: And he did have a good year last year. He played in 15 games. His biggest issue has been availability. Last year, he played 15 games. I think we mentioned yesterday at 1,152 yards, which was sixth in the league. He also caught 76 passes. This is a guy that can do everything. He's a three-down back who has a lot of talent. So... When you look at that team now and you compare them to the offenses that Atlanta has with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Todd Gurley, or that New Orleans has with Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and even when you look at Carolina with at least the quarterback-running back combo with Bridgewater and uh, Christian McCaffrey, the Buccaneers offense now matches up with all of those teams in that division with Mike Williams and Godwin as their wide receivers with Gronk at tight end I think from a weapons standpoint they're right there and defensively I think their defensive backfield is probably going to be their weak link but they have a really good defensive coordinator in Todd Bowles I wouldn't be surprised if they're a playoff team
0: Do you think it's Super Bowl or bust for them or do you think playoffs are good enough
3: I think if I were a Buccaneers fan or if I were in that front office it would be Super Bowl or bust Arians is old Brady is old. They've obviously brought in older players. Gronk is coming out of retirement. Fournette obviously has something to prove. Levante David all of a sudden is an old player. He's still really good, but he's, he's an older player now. So I would say that it's Super Bowl or bust for Tampa because you can't expect Gronk to be back. You mm-hmm. gave Fournette a one-year contract. You're closing on, on the end of uh, hit the deal for Mike Williams. You can't expect that those guys are going to be able to play for two years.
0: Question for you as a noted Patriots hater. Yes. Do you want Brady to have success elsewhere to spite Belichick? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay.
3: Totally. So and you I,
0: hate Belichick more than Brady?
3: Yes, I do. Okay. And here's the thing about Belichick he took Brady in the sixth round. Yes, he did get to the playoffs with the Browns with Vinny Testaverdi. And he. He had things going. He was okay with Drew Bledsoe. But as people say, Parcells was a product of Belichick because he never won a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. So far, Belichick's a product of Tom Brady, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll see how he does with Cam Newton. We'll see if he's as good with Cam Newton or any other quarterback, whether it be the the Auburn kid or whoever they might get in the future. But Brady now is playing with talent, and we'll see if, if if Brady was a system quarterback or if he's able to go to another system and succeed.
0: We had this, this poll running about the NFL mm-hmm. and whether people wanted to hear about the NFL or not. I think even people who hate the NFL are still intrigued about that storyline. Will Brady have success without Belichick and vice versa?
3: Yeah, it's it's star power.
0: It's one of the great sports stories of all time is those two as a tandem now breaking up and getting the chance to yep. prove themselves solo.
3: Yep. That's Michelle, I'm Randy and that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. It's 9:11 your time. Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Next up, stick around. You're Killing Me Small's is coming your way. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right. It's time for.
0: You're killing me, Small. Randy, the next character and Smallman book club selection is in. We are going to be reading Eight Men Out about the Black Sox scandal, which I'm very excited about. But may I propose an early favorite for our third book? Yes. For the book after Eight Men Out. How about this book? Flip the Script by Ed Orgeron. He tweets, over the course of my life, I've had many experiences that have shaped me into who I am today. I've used every opportunity to learn and grow as a man and coach. I'm happy to share the story of my journey so far in my new book, Flip the Script, Lessons Learned on the Road to a Championship.
7: Hope you read that book, Flip the Script, it's going to be very interesting. If you like it, be great. Go, go tag us. Go tag us. <laughs> I think we need the uh, audio recording of that book. <laughs> yeah,
0: yes. We only do the audio book. Great call. Great. But then we would have to, it would be one of those Things where you read the, where you listen to the book, and you have to read along as well, so that you yeah. get the, the subtitles with them. But
3: I do want to, that to be the third book, though.
0: I would be very interested in reading that. Me
3: book. too, Coach O.
0: Oh. me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, Aaron Rodgers was having a conversation about the Packers bringing in Jordan Love as their new quarterback and he was talking to Bleacher Report and said, hey, I'm not going to have a Brett Favre type situation here. Brett Favre famously didn't want to mentor Aaron Rodgers. He says, hey, this is not my job. I'm here to be the quarterback to win football games. And Rodgers says he doesn't want to give Jordan Love the cold shoulder. Here's his quote. He says, part of your legacy is how you treat your teammates. I want Jordan to have as great of a Memories as possible of me being in the quarterback room and having some great laughs and competing. I want kinship, not animosity. That's what I've always tried to do with all my backups.
3: Sounds classy until the backup starts playing.
0: Keyword backup.
3: Yep, exactly. (laughs)
0: Keyword backup.
3: But I would hope so because obviously Aaron Rodgers could use some good familial relationships, could he not?
0: (laughs) Randy. Just
3: just saying. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you had to go there.
3: But here's the other thing is when the 49ers got Steve Young, I think Joe Montana said kind of the same thing until Young, Montana got hurt and Young started playing, and then he had started hating Steve Young and he wasn't the mentor anymore. There are some guys that are great at it. Kurt was great with both Bulger and Eli Manning. Some guys understand that they're not going to have the job forever. forever. Favre was not good with, uh, obviously, with Rodgers. John Elway got Tommy Maddox traded. He, he had so much juice in the organization, he said, no, I know you got, took this guy in the first round, get rid of him. And they did. Wow. So some quarterbacks handle it better than others. I hope that Aaron Rodgers is being truthful when he says that, because I always try, as I hope you guys realize, to... I want young people to do well. And if I were in a quarterback room, I would hope that I would be the same way.
0: Well, and if if you're Aaron Rodgers and you've lived this situation, Mm -hmm. if you were the Jordan Love at one point and you knew how that made you feel, even though now he and Favre have a good relationship, you know what it's like to be the new kid coming in there. You weren't the one who selected yourself to go into this organization. You are just trying to go in there every day and learn as much as you can and do a good job. So I think... Him having that life experience may lead him to be a better mentor.
3: I wonder if he's already said, stay away from actresses and race car drivers.
0: Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. I also wonder, though, if this is something where he's going to say the right things to the media. And then when he gets in the quarterback room, say, hey, I'm going to help you out. But make no mistake. I am the the starting quarterback here, buddy.
7: You're killing me, small.
0: All right, Randy, you know that we are live living right now in a polarized America. Mm-hmm. It seems like every day there's there,
10: Cardinals. I mean, there is crazy. the
0: hot button issues that has have really divided us yes. as a nation. And a Nebraska man, Randy, in Lincoln, Nebraska, went to a city council meeting to talk about a very important issue that he thinks America is facing right now. This is Andrew Christensen addressing the city council, Randy, in Lincoln, Nebraska, about a tough, tough topic in America.
10: I promise, I won't take up too much of your time here. My name is Ander Christensen. Uh, I live at 1212 Twin Ridge Road. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning and treating things as as though they're normal. I go into nice family restaurants and I see people throwing this name around and pretending as though everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. I propose that we as a city remove the excuse me, I'm trying to, yeah. excuse me, Sir, come on. I propose that we as a city remove the name boneless wings from our menus and from our hearts. These are our reasons why. Number one, nothing about boneless chicken wings actually come from the wing of a chicken. We would be disgusted if a butcher was mislabeling their cuts of meats, but then we go around to pretending as though the breast of the chicken is its wing. Number two, boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, which are already boneless. I don't go to order boneless tacos. I don't go and order boneless club sandwiches. I don't ask for boneless auto repair. It's just what's expected. And then number three, we need to raise our children better. Our children are raised being afraid of having bones attached to their meat. That's where meat comes from, it grows on bones. We need to teach them that the wing of a chicken is from a chicken and it's delicious. I propose that we rename boneless wings in the city of Lincoln. We can call them buffalo style chicken tenders. We can call them wet tenders. We can call them saucy nugs or trash. We can take these steps and show the country that where we stand and that we understand that we've been living a lie for far too long and we know it because we feel it in our bones.
3: Mr. Christensen has hit a nerve with me (laughs) because I find boneless wings to be delicious and I have no trouble with me or my kids. My son Patrick orders on a regular basis, boneless wings. There is a difference between a chicken tender and a chicken a boneless wing. A boneless wing is shaped like a wing. A tender is just a flat piece of chicken meat. A wing, a boneless wing, is smaller. It's obviously a wing, and clearly people have worked very hard to remove these bones from wings. It's no different, Michelle. Than my boneless ribeye All right, I can buy a ribeye that has no bones It's not mm-hmm. fake, it's a real ribeye But the bone has been removed So all due respect to Mr. Christensen I think he's raising his kids The wrong way by having them Avoid the reality of The bo- delicious boneless wing
0: but to his point, though, Randy, if the bone is removed, isn't it just essentially a tender, even if it's shaped differently? I loved his point about I don't go to a place and say, hey, I want boneless tacos. If the bone is removed, the chicken is different. It's not a wing anymore.
3: It was a wing previously, though. In a previous iteration, it was a wing, and they have just decided to remove the bone, just like with the ribeye. You can have things that don't have bones. That's the people. They, they know. We'll, we've got bone experts that are tuned in.
0: Well, Randy.
3: We do. Uh, well, and, and wing experts, right? So they can tell us exactly what the situation is here. But to, to accuse any community, Lincoln, Nebraska, St. Louis, Missouri, Dubuque, Iowa, it doesn't matter, to accuse any community of not raising their children well because they have a real thing in boneless wings. And by the way, who is he to say boneless wings are trash I think that that person is wrong for America.
0: I think it's a version of wings. How we have buffalo there are trash wings. It's the seasoning. It's the way you oh, mix okay. it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think he was being disrespectful. I think he was just identifying uh, a flavor okay, of wings. Okay, that makes sense because yeah.
3: he did say they were delicious. I'm fine with the term boneless wings. I'm not going to get fired up about this. I guess I just did.
0: But, Randy, the wings aren't on the wing of a chicken. It's, a, it's the chicken breast that's cut up into pieces to resemble a wing. It's not actually a wing. Therefore, you're even misidentifying it as and or let us know.
3: So then we shouldn't have wings at all is what you're telling me.
0: Yeah, you should just call them chicken tenders because that's what it is. He. What if they have bones? Because of- Anatomically correct here about the, the piece of the chicken that we are eating.
3: So what you're saying is there should be no more chicken wings. So that statistic that we eat 5 billion wings on Super Bowl Sunday should just be thrown out the window that we're eating 10 billion chicken tenders.
0: Yes, correct. He is just letting you know, hey, America, wake up. Boneless chicken wings are a lie. You've been living a lie. This is not a wing. And if the bone is removed, it's just a tender. You're eating a tender.
3: All right. So you slice up a chicken breast. Delicious again. (laughs) You... Put it in buffalo sauce. Is that sliced chicken breast or is it a chicken tender? So are we going to call every part of a chicken the chicken tender?
0: You could and you could be correct. Depending on the size. Depending on how it's sliced up.
3: You just ruined an entire industry.
0: I didn't. Andrew did. Andrew did. Blame Andrew. Not me. Our friend in Lincoln, Nebraska.
3: Buffalo chicken tenders.
0: I did appreciate his one suggestion of saucy nugs.
3: Yeah, that was a good one. And I thought it was interesting as well that he was as serious as he was. And when somebody laughed, he said, hey, want to quiet down here? That's is serious.
0: Hey, come on, man. Come on.
3: <laughs> Pretty funny guy. That is, uh, you're killing me, Smalls. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up, we're going to have a visit with the former Cardinal manager, the Hall of Famer, Tony La Russa, is next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we appreciate you tuning in to 101 ESPN this morning. We head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and one of our all-time favorites is the Hall of Famer, the former Cardinal manager and world champion here in St. Louis, Tony Larusa, who joins us now. Skipper, it's always great to have you on the air here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning?
11: Good, looking forward to uh, the conversation.
3: We always like talking to you, and uh, we want to start, obviously, on a sad note because I know the reverence with which you held Tom Seaver, who passed away last night at the age of 75, and uh, I've heard you talk several times about some of the great memories you have from Tom Terrific.
11: Well, anybody that... Uh became a member of Tom's team. You know, it was a teammate, was very, very fortunate because you had a personal association. You could actually see it instead of read about her or watch her from the other side. And had two great years, uh, all of us with the White Sox in 84 and 85 with him. He was, uh, I don't know how you could improve. He was just an amazing man and uh, and, and
0: professional pitcher. Well said, Tony. Um, Randy and I recently started a book club and the first book that we read was Three Nights in August, the Buzz Bissinger book that chronicled the 2003 Cardinals and the access that that book provided was amazing. We want to ask you a couple questions about it, but the first thing for me was, from a fan's perspective, from a viewer's perspective, we know that managing a baseball team is a tough task, but getting that peek behind the curtain and seeing just how all-consuming the cycle of it was for you. It's not just a day-to-day day thing or game to game thing it's pitch by pitch it's minute by minute and even after the game's over after your media obligations are are over buzz talks about how you would be walking the streets sometimes at 3 a.m in chicago agonizing over a decision and it just seems like something that for most people would take a physical or an emotional toll so what was it like for you to have to be like that to have your foot on the gas for 30 plus years as a manager
11: uh well i think that you, that you're only going to be able to last beyond your first year if, if you get totally consumed by it. I mean, uh, I was always taught the responsibility. If you became a manager of a baseball team, major league baseball team, you think about who you're responsible to, you're, you know, the, the fans in the organization, uh, the organization itself, you know, the owner in the front office that gave you the job. And then uh, the players, I mean, it's even in player development. I mean, they're, they're looking to the big league team to to set a certain example about the way you compete. And, and over the years, each, each team. So, I mean, that responsibility, I think it had a lot to do with how I was raised by my mom and dad. And, you know, my, and I had one sister. Uh, it just required that, that you give it your best effort. Otherwise, you couldn't look in the mirror. And you, you, know, you make a good point about the, uh, the walk in the streets. Uh, probably one of my favorite uh, memories of the book coming out was the number of times coaches uh, contacted me and told me that that echoed what they would go through. In fact, you know, Bill Parcells one time told me that after a game in the NFL, he would very often go to the shores there of the uh, the Atlantic, near New Jersey, where he lived, and, you know, just look at the... uh, they on the shore, wait till sunlight, and he's reviewing the game that was just played. So, uh, you know, Bud. By the way, make sure I say, it, you know, Bud. Buzz did a great job. He's just a terrific writer, and uh, the way he brought stuff to life there, I, I was amazed at. Just because I just talked to him, and he, he pulled it all together.
3: Did you make sure you were always in good neighborhoods when you were walking the streets? <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> Tony uh, might have been I, in I, danger at some point.
11: <laughs> well, I, I thought I you know what I can't remember if it was in the book or not, but that I did have one memorable uh scare in, in one city that I don't want to mention when I made a detour because I was just consumed because I had messed up pitching to a uh, a great pinch hitter with an open base and uh he singled to win the game and and so I I just Took personal responsibility for that loss, and, and I remember, as soon as I finished with the press, I, I took off my clothes, a, a uniform. I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I didn't even shower. I walked out, and you know, a lot of people were around, and I wanted to avoid them. and I made a, a turn, and next thing I know, I was in a bad neighborhood. I thought, "Oh, this is this bad nights will get worse."
3: Oh, my. Scary stuff. Hey, Tony, one of the anecdotes that really struck Michelle and I, and and I read the book when it came out, and here we are 14 years later, but it was a conversation that you had with Mike Matheny when you saw him holding hands with his wife, Kristen, and uh, you told him just before you held hands, you had that lost look because of something you did on the field, getting too hard on yourself. I made enormous mistakes with my wife and my kids, and now I have terrific regrets, and it's too late to do much about it. And obviously, you've had an opportunity to spend more time with your family since you retired. But my my question is this. Did the winning help offset some of those regrets?
11: No. No. I mean if you I mean one of one of our philosophies was no, no regrets. Mm-hmm. You know, you, as far as preparing for a, a game or a series, if you felt afterwards that you got beat because you had left something out, you you know, that regret is tough to live with. So when it becomes personal, no, I, uh, you know, bottom line was, you know, one of my first years as a manager, uh, you know, I was fighting for my life and, and, uh, the family is forgiving me, but I never forgiven myself for, for, you know, just not separating, you know, the personal time from the professional time.
0: Tony, another thing that struck me was how you talked about how player priorities had shifted throughout the years that you managed. And when the book was written in 2003, one of the things you mentioned was that for some players, winning was often third or fourth on their list of priorities behind personal accolades or contracts or things like that. So for someone like you who is managing a team and you're putting 100 percent in day in and day out and you see other players that are doing that, but then you have some potential big contract guys who winning isn't as important to them. How did you balance that?
11: Well, I, 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 I'm i I'm not sure. One thing I tried to do was not balance it. I didn't, well, I guess maybe that's a good word, just sense that you understood that they were under personal pressure, you know, to get the most out of their career because they had a family that they had to take care of. But the, uh, the challenge was, and by the way, still is, that, the frame of mind has to be that you know, you're part of a team and the success of the team will help dictate how much fame and fortune you get. So if, if you're just about selfish, you know, you can't play here because you know, the game, a, a great example is a, a, a position player has to understand how to play that scoreboard because he may lead off an inning. What's his responsibility to get the rally started? Right next time he comes up, he may have the bases loaded. What's his responsibility? Drive and run. So, you know, you have to, you have to play the game according to what the scoreboard says your team needs. And biggest challenge was just because of the time that I came into managing where all of a sudden they were free agency and guaranteed contracts. And, you know, the media started really, I mean, 79, that's when ESPN started. The players would get distracted and you had to fight through that. You have to fight through it today. And, 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 Make sure that their priorities are in order. And the biggest way to explain it is the better we do as a team, the better you do as a a, a person uh, taking care of your family. So you better hope the team is good. You better contribute to them being successful.
3: Nobody would doubt for a second that a 50-year-old Tony La Russa, if you were managing today, you would win. There's no doubt, and you would be stimulated and you would have fun. But because of the way front offices seem to be now with Moneyball and with the analytics and with providing a, a lot of information, they get upset when managers don't accept their information from front offices. How would you handle managing a team the way baseball is right now? Well, that's a
11: great question, Randy, because I think that's really the issue today. Um, you got you got to make sure you understand it. From the first day of managing to the end, we had a staff that devoured information. I mean, we were famous for trying to get as much information as possible, so we would not stiff arm today's information. Uh, what you want to do, though, is you want to balance it because – the problem is, and I think this is too often the case is that the, the, the metrics guys, you know, they live with those percentages and they don't understand just how dynamic the game is. Once you start playing it and the coaches on the field can feel it. And a manager has to be able to, and a coach, they have to respond to the differences that day. So, uh, you know, if I had a chance to manage today, I, I would I would try to very hard to explain to the front office and, and the owners that give give us all the information that, that that we can we can take in. But you've got to understand it. You know, Randy, you know, today may have a quick bat. Tomorrow he's got a slower bat, and you better be able to make that adjustment if you're trying to get him out. So uh, it 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 uh, it really bothers me that. <clears throat> the, the state of the game today, uh, actually, this is an interesting point because it was pointed out to me that it's a reverse of what you think. In the game today, you would think that the old-timers are giving the Heisman to the, the new wave of of metrics. And it's the opposite. They more embrace it. It's the new metrics guys that, that want to uh, give the Heisman <clears throat> to the judgment of scouts, the value of player development, the importance of being able to make game decisions. And I'm going to tell you one more quick thing that's, that's really insidious in a sense. Leadership is more important than ever on the field. You want the manager and the coaches to get the most out of your players. Well, respect goes to the person making decisions. And when the players know that the decisions are coming from upstairs, it, it undercuts the, uh, the leadership respect that you earn on the field. It's
3: bad for your ball club. Tony, I believe that you'll like hearing this on more than one occasion. Actually, maybe once a week. We get from Mike Schilt, and we have these Zoom meetings with Mike Schilt, and we get from him, they're men, not machines, which was something that you, whoever the media member was, and we we would talk about players, at the end of the day you do have to manage people, and you're not just at a computer screen.
11: Well, I mean, it's just a lesson that was passed on to me, and you know, like, you know, Mike, I have a great respect for Mike. Actually, both Mikes, see and Schilt. And, uh, you know, so you pass along what you learned. And, and just to make sure I dot this I and cross the T, I was very fortunate. Every place I managed, our coaching staff knew that the ownership, the front office, player development guy, and we were all integrated in what was best and, and, and all have mutual respect. So nobody nobody ever you know, came at us. And it wasn't just because we were around for a while. It was because they, they knew that they and they believed in that dynamics of, of what happens during the game. And uh, I think that that's, you know, I think when I see how the game is being played now, you know, it, the game is not as entertaining as it should be. And I think it's going to, the worm's going to turn because I think owners will see the fans want more of this and less of that and and the front office guys, and I don't disrespect any, you know, like, you know, call them metrics guys because they love the game and they they got this opportunity to be a part of it. They just have to understand, you know, what you can do and what you can't do and respect the balance of what coaches and scouts and player development can do.
0: Tony, speaking of Mike Schilt, 2020 provides its own set of challenges for managers. You have a shortened season. You have new protocols, no fans in the stands. It feels like the list is endless. But the Cardinals also had to deal with a COVID outbreak among the team. And Mike Schilt has has rallied this team. They're right there in it as far as a, a postseason chase still. What's your opinion on the job that Mike Schilt has done with the Cardinals this year?
11: I think it's, you know, the way I would define it, would just it's just the latest example of how outstanding he is as a leader and and I I always mention you know the coaching staff that they have to be together you know to present this to the team but you had the you had the uh the different you know spring training one and two and you had you know that and that second spring training was very difficult but what really has marked the 2020 season for the Cardinals is the interruption in play to sit around as many times as they had to, and what they're confronted with with now, trying to make up all these double headers, that's excuses waiting to, to be taken. And how they responded, they've gotten themselves ready to play. They're in the midst of it, and I wouldn't bet against them finding a way. That, I mean, it's good, it's, it's going to be unfair, actually, as far as what you know, the stress is on their pitching staff and, and their players. But I would, uh, I would not bet against it. I just think the fact that they're doing so well now, and I anticipate that's what they'll do the last month of September. I, I think it's just the latest example of uh, just uh, the kind of leadership that, uh, that Mike and the staff provides that team.
3: Tony, I, I'm really fine.
11: And also, I got to mention this too, because it, it never ends with a manager and a staff. If you don't have team leadership, that embraces that message and helps the, the coaching staff, it doesn't work. So you got guys like Adam and Yadi, and I'm sure there are other guys there. It, it really is a remarkable team, and that's why they keep winning no matter what the challenge.
0: Tony, what if I would have told you in 2005 that Adam Wainwright and Yadi or Molina would be the anchors on and off the field for this Cardinals team in 2020? What would your response have been?
11: Uh, I would have expected it because they have The qualities, one of them is they have the love of the game and the love of the competition, and they understand everything we just talked about. It's a team game. You know, Adam, early on, you know, the the closer in 06, became the starter, who learned, you know, from uh, his mentors, you know, the Carps and uh, the Matt Morris and so forth. Yachty, they just... And they had the leadership qualities and love of the game. Plus, when you love the game as much as they do, and you learn it, the next piece that falls in place is longevity. And uh, you know, and these guys going strong is it's a beautiful thing to see. And they're, they're and they're making they're they're making records of of uh, playing together. That it's really going to be something special in the history of the St. Louis Cardinals, which by itself makes it remarkable.
3: Tony, part of that history is if you go back to 1918, the Cardinals have finished in last place once. They've had 12 straight winning seasons. You were with Boston. Boston is going to finish in last place for the fourth time since 4 They've won the four World Series, but they're also going to finish in last. You look at the Giants having to rebuild. You look at a team like the Cubs struggling. Why are the Cardinals so consistently good? That's a great question. I, I just... Um, I
11: think that from my experience, you know, the ownership, the DeWitt ownership was, was, uh, exactly the right one to come in behind the Bush family. Uh, but I remember from day one, I, I, I regressed the one step, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Tampa, which my dad would take me on Sunday. Sometimes it's St. Pete to watch the Yankees, St. Louis. Or Tampa, where you watch Cincinnati White Sox, and then I got into the pros, and then I was a manager in '82, five and seven. I came to St. Louis for those World Series, just as you know, because the teams I was managing for, we wanted to represent sportsmanship. And I saw for myself walking to the ballpark how how excited and happy the fans were. So when I joined in '96, and and two great. Cardinals like Mike Shannon and Jack Buck pulled me aside and they wanted to make sure that I understood what the responsibility was uh, and I think what well, I'm you know, trying to describe it is that forever when you get in that uniform you feel the tradition and you feel the obligation to carry it forward you know it's, it's like somebody once told me and I have embraced it as you know, a tangible, intangible and don't ever, ever under, underestimate the strength of walking in that clubhouse, putting on that uniform, performing in front of that passionate fans fan base and what that does to lift uh, your performance. So uh, it's a very unique equation there. you know, The formula they got and uh, everybody that, that, that's worked in there, if you know that, had the great good fortune to work with Walt Jaffe and then towards the end with, with uh, John Moselech. And uh, they all feel it. And you feel them in our legs, and, and that's the way I would explain it.
0: I felt that when you said that, Tony, because so many people in St. Louis, just seeing the birds on the bat, we feel that it means so much to us. So to think that players, managers, members of the organization, they understand that responsibility as it ties to the community is pretty profound.
11: Well, it's one of those things where you know sometimes uh, you know as a manager, when you have a, you have to have you got you got to establish trust. You know, you got to say the truth. Uh, Seems a staff. You know, otherwise, if think players do what you're not being straight with them. You're going, you'll never have them. So, one of the things is, in, in, you know, our philosophy of competing, and that meant, you know, how, how we practiced and how we came to the game every day and played a hard nine. Well, if you had a guy that was having trouble in baseball, you know, you had a conversation, with him and you literally said, "Look, that's how we do it. If you can't, if you can't do it, then you're in the wrong place, and we'll, we'll get you out of here."
0: Tony, we wanted to ask you about the Angels, too, before we let you go. You know, when you have a generational player like an Albert Pujols or a Mike Trout, you feel like you have a window to win a championship, and that hasn't happened yet with the Angels. So what steps do you think need to be taken to put the organization in the best place to capture that title moving forward?
11: Well, that's a great question because I know, uh, as I've talked about with the Cardinals, it begins at the top, and uh, the top here is Artie Moreno. And, you know, and then the front, you know, the ownership and, and like, you know, the president, like John Carpino, uh, it goes through the farm. you know, the, the general manager, Billy Epler. And I really, when I came over, I was, I am really impressed with their commitment. And then they, you know, bring in Joe Madden who's had angel history success and then his own success. Uh, it's, it's been kind of cruel because I really believe, uh, when I was in spring training, and I watched the work of Joe. Outstanding coaching staff. I think they were really hitting the right uh, tone with pulling that team together and and making you know, understanding what it was to compete as a team and do all the fundamental things to get ready. Now they got you know about two weeks left to polish it off for a day, and this and it ends. And uh, you go to spring training too, and, and now it's totally disrupted. You get, you it's hard to get guys together because everybody's separated their little little groups because of the distancing. Yeah, you know, I, I sound like I'm making an excuse. I'm trying to explain because when I say cruel, the team, you know, we've gotten into this, you know, in now and you know, we're, the record is atrocious and and it's, uh, you know, it would take a miracle for us to get to September. So everybody's feeling it. Everybody's, I think, embarrassed by it. But uh, one of the one of the the strongest motivators once you look at number 27 there and you feel the obligation as a teammate, uh, or anybody in the organization to, I know it's a team game, but you know, Mike Trout deserves to have October baseball. So people that are just casual fans can see his greatness. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, we'll just do the best we can from here to the end and learn as much as possible. And then when you turn the page to 2021, 20, uh, you know, I just feel confident they got the right people in place to, to you know, make all that happen.
3: Tony, a couple more quick things. Do you have much interaction with Albert? Are you down in the clubhouse? Do you get to talk to Albert much?
11: Yeah, fortunately, I'm a tier two guy, you know, so, like, you know, I show up there and I go on the field and, uh, Joe and the coaches could not have done more to feel at home. I mean, I attended a bunch of meetings and have conversations with them. So yeah, yesterday, for example, I, uh, um, you know, we had an off day Tuesday after losing Monday, Albert made the last out. I think I told somebody, uh, I think I told Jim the last night when they talked to him, Albert's greatness has not changed because Albert made those two guys on base in the ninth inning. And, uh, He had a chance, base hit to tie it, extra base hit to win it. And he got a pitch, and he popped it up. And, uh, you know, where I was, I I could see it. Jim said, you know, I had a good pitch. He was watching on TV. I saw him yesterday, first thing he says, I messed up. Pitch was right there, and I missed it.
3: (laughs) He (laughs) hasn't changed, says he.
11: (laughs) Hasn't changed, taking responsibility, (laughs) being accountable. So, yeah, one of the neat things yesterday, by the way, a man put on a hit and run when we were losing by one run, and, Joe, and, and Albert hit a double out of the right field corner. And, uh, and I, I wrote him a text in Spanish that, that he read about midnight, and he, he sent me a text back laughing, and I told him in Spanish, you know, here I am, you because know, sometimes he would call me, you know, papa, and I'd say he's my son, and I'd say, you know, when you did that, which I think Albert has got like 150 or 60, 70 hits on hit and runs throughout his career. He's just been amazing. You know, I sent him a text about how proud a dad was to see his son come through it, and he laughed at it. So it's a long-winded answer. Is that I see him, and it's been one of the great pleasures to be, you know, close to him again and watch him.
3: That is great to hear. Finally, we we wanted to talk to you, and we asked you a lot about the book. We know that you're a voracious reader, so if you could make a recommendation to Randy and Michelle about a book, and it doesn't have to be a sports book, a book that has had an effect on you that you think that would be beneficial to us, what would it be?
11: Hmm. Well, there's, there's a book that I read about a famous coach that I didn't want to read. And I was told to read because I had so many insights that I read it. And But I, I can't tell you to read it because in the end, the author ripped. After, after having after read this book, he ripped the coach. And I'll never say that book's name. So I will rely, even though I've told some people individually, hey, read this book. Because I don't want this guy to make a dime on on, on my recommendation. But the book that I would use, one of the ones is Lou Holtz wrote a book, and he wrote several, but there was one where he would talk about you know a lot of the, his secrets or formula for winning, and that I always, and I, can't, I, I I have a struggle remembering, but you know he, he would every year come up with something like W I N, and it would be like uh, what's important now or wit. Uh, It it, it was uh, whatever it takes, you know, so I would recommend one of those Lou Holtz's books. I just wish I could remember which one
3: it was. We'll figure it out. Tony, you're always so generous with your time. We can't thank you enough, and uh, we're we're rooting for you. We know the greatness that is Tony Lewis, and we know how competitive you are, and you guys are going to get that thing turned around in Anaheim by next year. We know it.
11: Well, you know, it's about reading and books. You know, I, I, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Thanks a lot. All
3: quick. right. Take care, Skipper. We'll see you. That is the Hall of Famer, the great Tony La Russa on 101 ESPN.
0: That's so great that he gets to reconnect with Albert in that way and, and watch him in Anaheim. That's yeah. very special.
3: And how often does a coach-player-manager-player relationship evolve to the point where it's a father-son relationship like that? That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Michelle and I will be back to wrap things up and head you towards Scoops with Danny Mack next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman
2: podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: I always enjoy those conversations that we have with Tony La Russa, Michelle, and I love his approach. He just wants everybody in baseball to be on the same page. And like he said, the people, the old school types, like he and Joe Madden, they're willing to accept and adapt to the new metrics, the new numbers of the game, but it does seem like the the old-timers like him and and like people that appreciate scouting and appreciate actually knowing and watching people, those are the people that are being pushed out by the people in charge now who are the metrics guys.
0: Yeah, when he was talking about that and describing it, I was reminded of Mike Matheny, the conversation we had with Mike Matheny, who is admittedly, or was more of an old school manager, and how he said heading into this this job with the Royals, he had to embrace analytics. He had to embrace this new way of thinking for him to be successful in this era of baseball.
3: And Tony, obviously is in a great spot because Madden is along the same lines. Billy Epler is certainly analytically inclined, but is willing to look old school as well. And when you look at that club, they need physical talent in the pitching staff. They've got some guys, Dylan Bundy is their number one starter. They've got some guys that have ability, but it seems like they've kind of gone overboard at times with the analytics there, and they just need and, and they 've had some bad luck, obviously Tyler Skagg's dying last yeah. year hurt them, but that's the sort of organization with the guys that they have they, they should hire Dave Duncan too as a consultant because what they need all they need is pitching they can hit they 've got a lot of hitters, and they just need to ha- turn some talent some pitching talent into pitchers
0: just take that Tony LaRusa Dave Duncan formula and bring it there, right, but yeah. think about. All of the organizations, all of the players, all of the managers that have Tony La Russa fingerprints on them throughout the history of baseball. It's pretty remarkable when you think about the impact that just him as one singular person has had on so many careers and organizations throughout baseball. Yeah,
3: it really is phenomenal. And all the winning that he's done, whether it was winning a division title in Chicago with the White Sox, where they never won anything, and then going to Oakland, three World Series and a championship, and coming here with three World Series and a championship, then going to Boston, and they wind up with a World Championship there seems to be a correlation between Tony La Russa and winning.
0: Yeah. And, and hopefully he can get it done in Anaheim yeah. because that would be very cool for him to get it done there. Hopefully Albert's still there if that happens. But I would just love to see Mike Trout be on yeah, that stage and get that opportunity.
3: Do you think—I thought the answer to why the Cardinals are good was really great. The, the fact that you walk through the door and Buck and Shannon tell them, hey, this is a real responsibility, and then putting the, the jersey on— Besides the Cardinals and the Yankees, do you think there's another organization where that happens, where when you put on the jersey, you feel a responsibility to win?
0: Maybe before 2016, the Cubs, and not a responsibility, but the pressure Pressure. to win, that might be different. I wonder how that dynamic exists within the Red Sox organization, because they had such a long drought, then they win win. They have consistent winning, but it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. And they
3: do it with different managers right. and general managers all the time. There's no continuity.
0: That's a really good question. And I, I don't know consistently from an organizational standpoint if it's, if it's more profound than with the Cardinals and the Yankees.
3: I, I don't think it is, even with the Dodgers, because the Dodgers had that run and they're with their ownership now. I'm sure that they feel that way, but they had a 10-year run with that Frank McCourt ownership where Mm -hmm. they were just not good, and they haven't won a World Series since 1988. Now, granted, the Yankees haven't won one since 2009, the Cardinals since 2011, but it's hard to imagine that the Cardinals or the Yankees could go 32 years without winning a World Series.
0: No. I can imagine how that would go over here. Probably not well. but. I also think with the with the Dodgers, there's there's a lot going on in Southern California. They certainly have a, a very deep fan base. But when you're in St. Louis, as when, when Tony said that, I felt that. Mm-hmm. I felt. What he was talking about with the birds on the bat and how that uniform represents so much for so many people. And to think that a manager every night would put on that uniform and would understand what that meant. That's not just a job. It's not just hit him getting dressed. It's he, he's putting on a symbol that represents generations of fans throughout St. Louis and throughout the country that have emotional ties to this.
3: Right. It, he was great. Great to have Tony La Russa with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a really compelling discussion. Dan McLaughlin and Jim Edmonds on scoopswithdannymack.com. Tomorrow, we're going to talk to Joe Vitale. We're going to talk to Dick Vermeule. We're going to talk to Mike Shilt. Who's the other one we got? Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday. Matt so, Holiday. Yeah, quite a guest list tomorrow on Friday here on 101 ESPN. Great job by our producer-engineer, Scott Manziara. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, this was fun.
0: Randy, it was great. I'll see you tomorrow.
3: Yes, you will. Hopefully, I'll here no i i guarantee i'll be here
0: i was gonna say show up all right i will
3: i'll, I'll be <laughs> here and we thank you for tuning in texting and in being a part of the show danny mack coming up next for all of us until tomorrow morning at seven have a great day st louis that was the character and smallman
2: podcast on 101 espn